Hey everybody, Norm here. Uh, this past summer, in the middle of planning a wedding, I just really haven't had any time to go out eating. But I have been doing a lot more cooking and using the sponsor of this week's episode of This Is Only a Test, Blue Apron. They're, of course, a service that delivers ingredients, recipes at a great price and teaches you how to cook. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Aprons delivers seasonal recipes with my favorite part, pre-portioned ingredients to make home-cooked meals. That makes everyone happy. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Uh, some of the meals available in August include spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salad or chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa. Really yummy stuff. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash test. Again, that's blueapron.com slash test. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron and thank them for supporting this week's episode. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And now on with the show. Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, August 25th, 2016, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Hello, and welcome to This Is Only a Test, sans Norman Chan. Yep. I'm Kishore Hari, subbing in for the MIA Norman Chan, and joined in, by, as always, by our co-host, Jeremy Williams. Hello, Kishore. And welcoming back to the podcast for the first time in a while, Sir Patrick Norton. I have to add the sir for some reason. I, I'm honored. <laughs> it's much easier to live up to than Saint Patrick. Uh- <laughs> Ooh, St. Patrick, that's too high of a bar. Exactly. No, I would never put that on you. I sir, appreciate that. Sir allows a, a certain <laughs> level of frivolity that I think you can still enjoy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Norm is MIA. He's out on the Arctic uh, with Chris Hadfield, which is a sentence that is almost unreal to say. It's so fun. It, it's amazing. He's out there shooting some premium videos and some uh, videos for the tested community. He's on a Russian icebreaker in Greenland, so I hope that... Actually is where he is. With Joey. Oh, yeah. Joey's out there, too. Yep. Joey, I'm not worried about. <laughs> I'm not worried about it at all. I don't think Norm's ever seen temperatures below 40 degrees. I, uh, that's who I'm worried Born about. Born and raised in Northern California. Exactly. Oh, boy. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah. You know, I, what I realized, this is a, a potential for a bunch of dads return right now oh we have yeah. three dads it's, I, I can't remember the last time this podcast had three dads on it oh um, so i'm just saying all right the dad humor precedent is set already <laughs> here we go and how are you doing patrick i'm good i'm actually still wrestling with my it just incredible jealousy of 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 norm getting to go to the arctic um just because i've always wanted to go up to greenland iceland i think i've you know iceland's just wow 
So seriously, I thought about Tanya Harding him at a couple points where I was just like, <laughs> if I hurt him bad enough, like, where am I on the list? Yeah, right. Because like, you know, in the org chart, I w- like I would never try to hurt Joey because Joey would probably hurt me back yeah. quicker than I could yeah. hurt him. Yeah, big guy. But, yeah, no question. Just wait till he's editing with the headphones on and wail right about here with the heaviest object you <laughs> no, want. No, I don't want to hit him in the head. It's all about the how, knee. How badly do you want to go? I, w- I thought about Joey it. Because Joey will hop his ass on a boat with a knee brace. <laughs> yeah, Joey was going to go regardless. But it's worth pointing out that Norm was so committed to going that he, in fact, left for this two-week journey two days after he got married. Yeah, I mean, so, it, that is it a, a, a testament to his the new strength wife, of his- I think. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, more than anything I else. I think you're right. I think you're right. But he also is clearly committed to this, so I don't know if any kind of physical abuse would have kept him from it. Yeah, I mean, that's Hence the other... The traumatic head injury and being in a coma. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the other big news of this week. Our Norman Chan officially became a Mr. Chan uh, this past weekend. Are you not Mr. until you're married? Sure. <laughs> That's a new that. interpretation. I like it. All right. Sure. Why not? Uh, and uh, the nuptials went off. There's a lot of old friends from Tested there. It was a it was a grand old time. Yeah. Check Twitter for a few photos. Right. You got one of uh, the old the old team together. Yeah. I Will found, and Norm. Will as as one uh, a fan noted that he has gone full history teacher in his look <laughs> these days. Yeah. There's nothing ironic about his outfit. He's just given in <laughs> <laughs> to the 40s. Yeah. Congratulations, Will. Uh, look forward to that teacher tenure soon. <laughs> but why don't we dive into some pop culture? Pop culture, news culture. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the Olympics on the show. And they're finally done. That's it. It's done. We don't have to think about them for another four years or two years until the winter games. Mm-hmm. Do you guys watch the closing ceremonies at all? No. Me neither. No? No. But I saw the highlight. Wait, what highlight do you mean? I saw the, the um, introduction, the passing of the torch to Tokyo. Oh, which I, I watched this with my son. And when it, when it sort of came about, there's a video intro of, of the mayor of of tokyo is that right governor of tokyo something like that important person and when he like morphs into super mario in a car to try to get to rio quicker and then i see the pipe like you can my son watches me slow slowly lose my mind (laughs) where i was like what what is this what is because we had watched a whole olympics that was about cultural flair and celebration of like of the history and of mm-hmm. celebration of, of that South American Brazilian mm-hmm. uh, feel, like almost sans technology. And then all of a sudden, 100% the other direction. <laughs> yeah, we had like a Pac-Man um, cameo. And then it, all of a sudden, it's less of a morph as it is just kind of like a jump cut. <laughs> you know, it, they didn't spend too much money on the transition. But <laughs> he turns into Mario, and then he in, in Tokyo, he jumps down a, a warp tube. What do they call those? Uh, warp tunnel and uh, warp I pipe. I just go with pipe. pipe. And then, of course, through the world to the other side where he comes out in Brazil, live on stage as dressed as Mario. Do you, did you see it, Patrick? No. no it was that, amazing. It was one of those like, hey, I think the Tokyo Olympics are going to be pretty damn fun because it's all going to be uh, old video game characters it's, it's come to life. Yeah. It's interesting that they, that they chose that as to represent themselves. I mean, I, I like that. I, mean, I liked it a lot, too. 
I, I hope it portends something for the for those games because they certainly were not like we're going to celebrate the ancient culture of Japan. They were all forward thinking. <laughs> well, you know, we're not there yet, so who knows what it'll be in four? No, years. I think we know everything we need to know from those four minutes in the in the closing ceremony. I think they're going to try to insert uh, Mario Brothers as an Olympic sport. What would that look like? You know, just like a bunch cut. of people like esports, a bunch of people sitting staring at monitors that's while it. furiously. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not think that's what you meant. Like my initial vision was like literally people on a track running around and they have to like jump up and hit a box yeah. in the air. No, no, no. I meant playing video games. What's oh, the I can't so- remember the name of the, the Japanese game show where they, they would do all the horrible um like obstacle course stuff. Yeah. Isn't that every Japanese game show? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But that would be amazing to actually have real-life Mario in the games. Mario Kart. Now, that I would watch. Uh, let's get to the, the kind of the big news story of the week that's sort of dominating headlines, which is the end of Gawker. Yeah, well, it's been coming. It's been right? coming, but this is the official end. We mm-hmm. saw the litany of, of goodbye Gawker posts and hot takes on it. And I'm, I, I think we're going to try to avoid any sort of big takes on it. But uh, what is your sort of general reaction to the end? You probably have stronger feelings than I do, Patrick. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm a big First Amendment guy. Um, and, you know, part of the problem with believing in free speech and the American concept is, is it allows people who are vile and disgusting to speak openly. Um, <laughs> and I'm not actually saying that in terms of Gawker. I just remember, you know, the, the, the ACLU defending the Illinois Nazis party's right to speak publicly. And, you know, there's few things I hate more than fascists and Nazis, uh, Illinois Nazis or otherwise. But, you know, technically... Under the Constitution, they have a right to free speech. Um, so what's scary to me about this is, you know, we have a lot of incredibly wealthy people in the United States. Um, probably not that many that, that have Peter Thiel-level wealth. But basically, Peter Thiel, you know, decided to do a very long game and to wipe out Gawker. And he did. Uh, and he did it in a way that managed to keep his name out of the headlines uh, for so long. And they chose the story so carefully that they, you know, because there's, I think there's like a, at least four different lawsuits that he's funded that are that are working through the various stages against Gawker. But the one that kind of um, they got the lucky breaks on was uh, the Hulk Hogan one, and uh, that's a weird sentence. Got yeah. lucky breaks on a Hulk, Hulk Hogan right on. tape. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, um, and, you know, Hulk Hogan managed to get it the trial in his hometown, uh, which pretty much guaranteed him a particularly receptive jury. Um, there's a lot of questions that remain as to what's going to happen as, as this uh, case works its way through the court system, um, you know, because it will continue to work its way through the court system. Um, but it's, it's, it basically means if a rich guy gets pissed off enough, if a wealthy enough person that's patient enough gets pissed off enough at a publication, they can probably take it down yeah, eventually. Isn't that just as part of being, living in America as the free speech aspect? This I, is like the two well, sides of living in America that we have these freedoms. They give us the right both to say idiotic things and make a lot of money off of it and also to use your money as you will to combat that if yeah. you wish to. And so this is just the natural order of things as far as I can see. So I work for – my podcast is hosted by Mother Jones. And Mm -hmm. Mother Jones was also sued by a billionaire recently uh, regarding a piece. And they had to defend it uh, for a long period of time. And it forced them to almost change their funding model for how they uh, support it. So I understand the the chilling effect, which is what I hear a lot of outlets talk about and uh, how – the inequity of somebody rich coming to bear. 
Don't you think somebody is something is just going to rise in place though? If Gawker goes away, what's next? Well, Docker? one of the one of the things that that not to get too inside baseball is one of the things uh, one of the Gawker editors in in the post put up was was essentially or former Gawker editor was that you know Gawker was out Gawkered by Twitter and Facebook. Um, and, and Twitter and Facebook have the advantage of a uh, not being responsible for what people post, uh, and b you know these massive kind of reactions on Twitter or Facebook are so distributed. Uh, you know it makes you know trying to sue everybody uh, particularly difficult. But you know the the line that struck me is Gawker got sort of big enough and slow of foot enough uh, and old school enough that they finally got caught. But it's it's I mean it, it's messy. Like I'm with you, right? You know I've I got to spend some quality time and you know very tiny amount of quality time in East Germany before the wall came down. And you know, wait, wait, really? Yeah, I got to do uh, like a day in East Germany. Uh, on a, I was on a, a tour. Like a, we were, I was hosted by a German family, and then we got to go to Berlin, and we spent some time in East Berlin while we were there. And the big takeaway was that was when, when you're sitting like 40 years after the end of World War II, and you're looking at one side of the fence, and everything's vibrant and built and functional, and you go to the other side of the fence, you know, and there's you know, there's still rubble remaining from World War II. The toilet paper looks like it was made out of something that you wouldn't use to sand wood because you would mark the wood up too badly. And, you know, waxed paper cups don't actually hold water. Like, you know, so I'm a big fan of capitalism. But at some point, you know, you get to a point where and, and you know, this is this is you know, you're right. This is not new. I mean, look at William Randolph Hearst, who was fabulously wealthy and owned some of the biggest media outlets and destroyed lives and you know may or may not have been you know responsible for the death of William McKinley um. <laughs> pissing off rich people has always been bad for business like it, it going back in time right I, I'm sort of stuck with less of the the media hot takes like I, I just feel like the vacuum will be filled by something else I'm more struck about the inequity of, uh, of a system where it's like well if I have money I can get good lawyers and those good lawyers can get stuff done. And yeah. I was like, that feels scummy to me. Yeah. Well, but this that is... There is an, the inequity of, of the legal system based on money sucks. And it's, it's been that way forever. Yeah. But I, I, that's what I'm hit with more than anything It's not else. just the legal system. It's, it's the political system sure. as well. Sure. Well, okay. that was a downer. <laughs> yeah, it's a downer. But I mean, like, it, it is the big news of this week. I mean, right. it was surprising that uh, Univision right. won the bidding for it uh, because they've actually been doing some interesting plays in the tech space more so than right. a lot of the other traditional uh, so TV networks. Did Univision go for it for the titles, which are all awesome because there's still some amazing titles. I mean, Life Hacker's still one of my favorite websites of all time. Gizmodo's doing great. IO9's a subset yeah. of Gizmodo. Um, People shit on Gawker, but Gawker's subsets were, were incredible. Like, IO9 was life-changing for me, mm-hmm. uh, personally. And, and Life Hacker, like, I use... Yeah, sometimes shamedly used too much. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know how the life and I've, I've said this to to you know to the face of, of various life hacker editors. I don't know how they produce as much content as they do, as high a quality as they do. It's incredible. The website is extraordinary. Um, you know, did they buy it for Kenya, the publishing platform? You know, I, I mean, it's going to be very very interesting to see you know what happens with them moving forward. Um, I, I'm excited about what it is. If if we've seen anything from the success of Fusion, which I think is successful, even though some people may claim otherwise, uh, I'm excited w- with sort of the the merging of the two mediums. Uh, 
Speaking of other um, pop culture news, you've had some special news come up on Tech Thing. <laughs> for those, that, like, why don't you introduce people to Tech Thing the, for some of the tested listeners that don't know? So I host a, a weekly video show called Tech Thing. It's kind of like the Mickey Mouse Club for geeks. Uh, you know, we review. That's products. your tagline, really? No, if so I so you're going to go a- on to become a pop star. Because that's the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> that's where the real money is. Um, no, I would probably shouldn't say things like that on, on anything that might end up on YouTube for fear that some Disney lawyer will come and beat me half to death with a hammer. You can say anything you want. You can say anything you want. Yeah. Doesn't mean you won't get sued for it. Uh, well, is that true? <laughs> that's Peter whole... Thiel, we love you. <laughs> no, How leave us about alone. That? Um, well, it, but this is a crazy. We had, uh, we had an email from. One of our viewers and his his uh, mom had one of the pop up ads show up on her computer, and you know it was like you know you have violated tech support computer mayhem. Dial this one eight hundred number and we'll fix everything. And the one eight hundred number, of course, goes to uh, a a tech support scammer, which um, you know are generally overseas boiler shop operations. You know, and they're basically like they get you to load a remote access tool, and they 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 do like you know, oh my goodness, your your machine has three hundred and eighty seven viruses, and it's actively being used by terrorists and and hackers to destroy freedom and joy around the world. And 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 they basically they build this really awesome game of Fear. It sounds um, like a public service. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, and in this case, his mom had given his her checking account number to the tech support scammers to pay $550 for their services and a $50 piece of software that appears to exist uh, uh, so that tech support scammers have something to sell uh, that's not a, a, a major branded tool. Um, you know, and it's been – so there's been some interesting cases recently where people who are – or highly technical have just been like, oh, one eight hundred tech support scale, like, or they get the rand. The other ways these are coming up is you know the 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 messages that lock up your computer and, and play an alarm noise and refuse to let you close the window. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other way they're doing they just they're just cold calling. So somebody, the one case they cold called this guy and he spent like. 65 minutes it's just seeing how much of his time he could he could waste before we finally shut him down there's a youtube video but this is my personal favorite uh uh ivan uh, kwiatowski um infected the computer of an indian tech support scammer with the locky ransomware <laughs> i love this i love this so much so he set up a, a virtual machine i saw you tweet this story and i read it so he, he set up he before he called him back he set up a vm and he, and he called in and he gave them remote access to that VM. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they, they, the tech support scammer, they logged into the machine, went into DOS, typed in some nonsense, and yeah. told them he was loaded with viruses. And that's what you, I mean, from a, from a social engineering standpoint, like, you know, they're, they're, they're doing some, some classic kind of, you know, like they're doing fear mongering and they're showing people shit they don't understand. Wait, I can yeah, you can, yeah. yeah, you can do that. I so rarely curse into a microphone. Um, you know, and they show people, it's usually really horrible stuff like a directory list and then basically being like, oh, this is the terrible such and such, and just pulling stuff completely out of their asses. <laughs> and, uh, and people panic and they pay money. Um, so in this case... Um, <laughs> what did he put on the virtual machine? He should have put like actual like folders been like <laughs> terrorist plans. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be pretty awesome. But he... Uh, yeah, he basically had uh, a you know he he had a you know he's a security researcher. He just happens to have the Lockheed ransomware he's available. A paid hacker. Yeah, yeah. 
Security professional. Right. <laughs> so let's call him a you know, potato he, potato. He just he just ruined the day, week, and or life of of a, a cluster of of tech support it's scammers. So, so beautiful. Yes. Yeah, so let's call him a security professional. I'm happy to call him whatever you want. Yeah, whatever he a wants saint. to be called. Um, and uh, nuked, um, you know, uh, nuked their their apparently their entire network. He sent him a JPEG with with yeah. his. Uh, credit with a fake credit card number on it. And yeah. when they open the JPEG, they double clicked on the JPEG. That and was all the payload. I love it. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's, there's so many lessons inside of here. One is like, don't click on anything anybody sends you an email uh, unless you're expecting it and you know them and trust them. And even suddenly, then, no tested listeners get any work done <laughs> after this podcast. No, we're not um, opening any attachments ever again. The uh, well, and it, but it's been amazing, like because these these tech sports scammers. It was it was interesting because we had the the the, person, the case with the tech sport. Uh, the the guy's mom got scam and you know it is a huge deal um you know it does is, that ftc do not call list work anymore even well to some degree it does but at this point there's also so many rogue agencies agents scumbags let's just call them scumbags um there's so many scumbags out there like i'm getting a half dozen at, and that's the worst i've gotten a half dozen unsolicited calls a week right um and they're they're basically you know they're they're spoofing numbers and they're robocalling and they're just trying to do whatever they're trying to do like usually vacation scams or stuff like that. Um, so you know to some degree there's no real easy way to fight those. Um, although I'm sure AT and T and Verizon and everybody else are working on it just because they want to reduce the tech support load of people calling up and whining about it. Um, you know the but you know in terms of actual real businesses yes the do not call. Uh, numbers work in terms of people who are fundamentally evil trying to you yeah. know, strip money. Uh, uh, no, they do not work. Um, you know, this is there's I, some rumors about Apple trying to take steps against this with the next update. It might be one of those words they have up on the white on the uh, projection the, the feel good thing. Yeah, the feel good to thing. open the thing. Uh, I have to say, uh, Wizard World Con that that uh, comic convention wouldn't stop calling me for six months and <laughs> to get off the list. Uh, when I finally was like, I, I've had enough of this, I was like, I don't even like comics. And I just felt guilty for weeks <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Let's dive into some more optimistic technology news. I think I cut Patrick off there. What were you about to say, Patrick? I was going to say uh, the FTC has uh, a super awesome website um, that uh, about tech support scams. It tells you how to respond to them, which basically involves burning your system to the ground and rebuilding everything. <laughs> well, because <laughs> light it on fire. Yeah. Well, in many cases, you know, they they install security software in your machine that may be a rootkit or a backdoor. Um, you know, you basically need to. In the case of this guy's mom, she needed to. You know get a new uh, checking account number, uh, credit card numbers, um, you know, because it's just if you've responded to the scam or a family member's responded to the scam, it's basically probably going to be a two-stage thing because they're probably they, – they may be honest dirtbags that are just trying to bill you once, but they're probably going to take that number and either hit it again. But there's been uh, a lot of refund scams where they, when they're about to get shut down, they call every number they have with an active credit card or checking account number and like, oh, we owe you some money back because we're going out of business. So we're going to refund you. And then they hit your account a second time. For 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 to steal more money from you, so okay, we have to talk about something optimistic. Otherwise, yeah. I'm yeah. going to never use my credit card again. So, talking about somebody that's hit your bank account, let's talk about Elon Musk, Jeremy. 
He's hit you up for $1,000 so far, oh, right? Man. He's not a scammer, is he? Uh, no. Let, let's hope not. We got some <laughs> new Tesla product announcements this week. Yeah. So there's a brand new level of the Model S and the Model X. So if you if you already have the a pre-order for the, what is it, the P90D, you can pay an extra ten grand. get yourself a P100D. Uh, so the so let's uh, break it. Model S is a sedan, right? yeah, think, and the X is the crossover. Yeah, it's the SUV. And then uh, the ninety really the ninety and one hundred really speak to the battery. Yeah. Right? So now they can go three hundred miles. It's Which an, it's we an talked extra, about this three hundred and fifteen. Sorry, three hundred fifteen. <laughs> and it, but it's an extra ten grand. So that's quite a lot of money. But who knows if you're in for a ninety D, maybe you just that's a drop in the bucket. I don't know. So we're talking about going from about two, like low two hundreds. It was like two twenty seven. I want to say maybe two forty seven to three fifteen. Do you know? Uh, yeah, it was something it, like that. It, yeah. it, it's a pretty big jump in terms of percentage, but in real world application, I don't know. For we talked about this last week. Like, what is that number? Yeah, that is the where the anxiety goes away. Well, the other thing <laughs> is that they they I think they use that extra power um, for the acceleration as well. So the new ludicrous is now the new high bar. Right. The new ludicrous mode. So the S can now go from zero to sixty, and I believe two and a half seconds. What? Two and a half seconds? What? Yeah. That makes it. <laughs> That's like Marty McFly level it's territory. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm. I think it, it, I was. I was laughing because I'd seen this story, and I'm driving across the Bay Bridge, and you know, Northern California. There's so much money in Northern California. It's really hard to. If you don't live in a particularly wealthy section of the United States, it's really hard to describe. Like, I no longer get excited about Teslas. Like, you know, Tesla Roadster will still perk me up a little bit because they're so rare. But there's so many like hundred thousand dollar cars that are daily driven around yeah. here. Um, but I was laughing because there was a, 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 a Tesla Model S, a Tesla Model X, and then another Tesla came up behind me on the Bay Bridge this morning. They're and searching I'm, you out, Patrick. Why are they chasing you? Probably because I've said unflattering things about Tesla at various times. I mean, they're awesome cars, but like they're just, you know, I, I'm amazed. The thing that always blows my mind is like there's not more people getting all high school inside of them and having wrecks with them. Yeah, because I don't. If you've never actually been in a car, that that's you know the P one hundred D is now one of the three fastest cars on the planet. Well, it's the fastest production car. Yeah, um, you know, there's like a Ferrari, like a yeah, there's a short run Ferrari and a short run Porsche, exactly. like a nine eighteen and the La Ferrari. Yep. Um, so this is like <laughs> La Ferrari. Yeah, is the <laughs> both worst of, both of which, name for a Ferrari. Ever. Both both of which you cannot buy any, yeah. anymore. Oh, you can if you can find somebody willing to sell them. Used. Yeah. You can buy used. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we're looking at a car that's uh, like $119,000 cash that will do zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. Like, it's going to have a ridiculous quarter mile time. Like, I'm, I'm still delighted that there aren't more people's, like, teenage children running these into bridge embankments at 300 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, just because if you've never been in a car that fast, it is terrifying until you get used to it. There's a video in the premium section of Norm riding in the model x i think it is mm-hmm. and hitting and they hit ludicrous speed and him just going oh, just like losing his ability <laughs> to speak for a second yeah as it accelerates through the last ludicrous speed was famous for if you put your phone against the seat and floored it the phone would just stay there <laughs> from the g-forces what i want to know is what's the limit to this i mean zero to 60 in two and a half seconds seems insane to me i can't believe that the tires don't peel out and that you can actually accomplish this what's the Actual fastest speed a production car could go zero to sixty. Well, it depends on how close you can get a production car to a Formula One car, probably. 
Okay, um, so what's a Formula One zero to sixty? Well, the tires gets. I, I think it's like one and a half seconds or something. Okay, sub two seconds. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've looked at something like sub that. two though. We think it's yeah. I mean, but, but those tires last for what like forty laps? Like, yeah, I mean hundred <laughs> miles. Yeah, and and they're you know they're like this wide. Yeah, and um, flat. And flat, right? Because they're they're basically designed to be sticky um, and and do nothing else, like drag tires, yeah. right? They're, they're very, very... At some point, you have to have this super evolved, ridiculous piece of engineering just to keep the, the tires from breaking loose. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll get it faster. I mean, it's, it's crazy to look at this, right? Because like a, a, a P90D all-wheel drive is like $76,000. The P90D... You know, that's the souped up one. The performance one is $99,000. And then for another twenty grand, you know, you get up to 315 miles. The um, twenty grand is to upgrade your existing car. Right. If you haven't taken ownership, it's ten grand. Well, if you look at the price list on the webpage, the P90D performance is 99000 The oh, P100D okay. is $119,000. Um, huh. So I'll be cynical and say that I think this is just a money play. Like, I mean, beyond, like, no one really needs ludicrous mode. I mean, maybe for on-ramps. Like, it's great to get up to speed. I don't know. Like, like when are you going to actually really, use this? The hardcore fans of Spaceballs need ludicrous mode. Sure, but how many of those people are left? We're a dwindling group. <laughs> the, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's you, know, you look at this, right? You go from, like, the P90D, 4.2 seconds, the P90D performance, 3.0 seconds, and then 2.5 seconds on the P100D. I mean, yeah, it probably is a money play. Like, I don't know how many people... You know, it's it's the the office I work out of the Hack Five offices. The warehouse is up in Richmond, and they ship a lot of cars out of Richmond. So, like about every two weeks, I see another. You know, I happen to stumble across another tractor trailer load of Teslas. Like, I'm wondering where are all these cars going? Like, what? How many? What's the saturated market for a hundred thousand dollar automobile? Because a, a big yeah. part of the announcement the Tesla made is like, you know, people buying the Tesla S and the Tesla X will, is what's going to make the Model Three possible. And That's it's right. like, you know, because so so. Bring more performance electric vehicles to America. Buy a hundred thousand dollar car now. Like it's the weirdest press release I've seen in a I, long time. It, it just tells me that that is actually an incentive, or I mean, it, it is an incentive, but it's also something that has that their research has shown existing owners are proud of. That they're proud of being a part of this movement that will allow a more affordable electric car to even exist. Right. You know, for what I mean, we're still in the whatever. in the area where people are acting like Kickstarter backers. Of of the Tesla right now, the ones that own it, they're like, I have the, I have the original version of this, mm-hmm. and I think that's got to fade in the next couple of years. Yeah, I am curious though. So, as somebody that's plunked down the money for the Model Three, yeah, on reserve, what, what do you want to see in it? Do you want to see the hundred D come standard? Is that overkill for you? What do you mean standard? Like that's just what you get? No, yeah, you- no. I mean, no. <laughs> I, I I'll be excited for. Like I love. Golf carts, you know that just the idea of having instant torque at all, having yeah. an electric motor at all, I think is thrilling enough. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't need two and a half second acceleration. That's insane. Well, what about the range? The you don't need it yet. <laughs> I don't need it yet. I know it's like uh, that could that could come later. Wait, but does the 315 mile range make a difference to you? No, versus no, no. The 200. No, whatever? honestly, honestly, I've, I've, I've feared. As I said last week, I've feared electric cars. Um, for the time being, because they're 50, maybe 100 miles range. Mm-hmm. But once you get to 200, I feel like that's the radius that I personally need. I could get to Santa Cruz and back, um, or I could get maybe to Tahoe where I could safely, like where I'm going to stay, and I can really do a, a solid charge up and then come home. Um, I don't, the whole concept of driving across country in an electric car, still, even with the 300 mile range, that still seems, although with the supercharger network, they're trying to. Pitch that as plausible and easy. 
I don't really, I don't know what that would feel like because you're not stopping to fill up. You're stopping to stay for an hour every we time. Should, we should ask Adam uh, when he gets back because he's on a road trip right now, yeah. a long road trip. And I'd be interested to see if, man, that pigeon really freaks me out. He's got construction gear He now. is like up in my grill. Um, was that that wasn't a pigeon that was a person uh, that was creepy to me just wanted to point out before we leave this that the model x is the zero to 60 on the suv is sub three seconds too sure because if you need to get to soccer practice yeah right right. let's go i I think i'd call it a station wagon or maybe a crossover yeah it's fine crossover i I don't think i like as somebody just took a honda crv over a hundred miles of gravel and dirt road in rural utah chasing dinosaur quarries with a four-year-old I don't think I'd, you know, like a Suburban, you know, a, yeah. an Outback with 10 inches of clearance. That's, you know, I'll call that a, an SUV. <laughs> I, I don't think this, this is a little too low to the ground for me to consider it a, a sport utility vehicle. It's a fat S. All yeah. right. Let's move beyond <laughs> Tesla on that note. Uh, uh, let's talk about the big deploy in Android because Norm's not here to you guys talk about iPhone Great. only. You guys let's can talk about nerd out. Nougat. Or nougat that just came out. I just loaded it up. I got the OTA yesterday and been playing with it. It's not dramatically different from the uh, the final developer preview. In fact, I think it's the exact same thing. Uh, Patrick, have you gotten nougat on? I have phone? not yet. Okay, so I'm just going to talk. So the big. P, they, they revamp notifications. They're much more streamlined. They're much more iPhone esque, and they're going in that direction. I'm not going to talk about that at all. What is interesting and what the focus has been on is on the split screen. So now I'm going to just demo for Jeremy so that people don't look at my phone um, <laughs> uh, during the podcast. It's easy to like swipe up and do a uh, split screen and do text. So what I actually did to test this out is I did show notes for this show so using it, split screen. It's, so a I'd vertical, have it's a vertical split screen, people we should point out. Yeah, I mean, it orients based off of uh, oh, cool. your foreign oh, okay. orientation. So I can rotate it. So I had a Google Doc open and like would go to various websites in the split screen. But it was barely useful. And I have a 6P, which is a pretty big screen. Useful, about as, like pr- choppy processor-wise? or No, it wasn't choppy processor-wise. Just because the, the windows are so small? Of, it, yeah, it's just small. Yeah. Like you just run out of area. Yeah. And then like... Uh, then you spend most of your time just scrolling. Yeah. So my like finger was getting tired. Right, dude. That was about as whiny as I can get about a new segment. But <laughs> my finger was getting tired. Is yeah. that better? <laughs> I imagine it's got a use case, right? You, if you want to copy and paste between apps, it makes it that was a little simpler. A, it was pretty effective when I was working <laughs> on, a do- on a document and going back and forth between websites, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to see split screen more on the, the tablet. Is there any dragging or, between windows? That kind no. Of thing? No. Okay. Not at this point. It's really on the developers, though, because there's still only a few apps that really work well in that split screen mode. Uh, and I haven't gotten to the point where I was trying out like, you know, uh, like a like Google duo, the FaceTime app and doing something in the app at the same time. And like multitasking that way oh, okay. uh, yeah. where I think it would actually be useful. Uh, but mm. I've never like I approached my phone as I do with my, my laptop or desktop in that way until now. <laughs> but I have to say, uh, nougat has been great so far. You know, relatively stable. Uh, Android did also announce they're going to be doing many more regular updates for the betas coming out too. So you can expect almost you can expect almost a release a month hmm. coming up for the betas, which I'm really excited about. I mean, uh, most of the uh, the updates in the past were like 
three months, maybe you would get one. Right. Um, so I'm excited for them to just iterate on this. But what I see is a streamlining of Android. Um, I tried out Google Duo, which I'll talk about later in, in what we've been testing. It's super lightweight. And seems like the with the notifications, it's it's gone a lot more streamlined. I'm excited for what this means. Do you think they'll ever do a complete revamp of Android, where they just refresh the UI, kind of like iOS four was, or you know maybe just a rethought, maybe even like a getting rid of the whole Java core at the base of it? It's hard to imagine where we are now because it's almost like they're too far, yeah, um, for them to just scrap everything mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think the real struggle is that there's so many phones with different versions of Android on on the market. Like yeah. when, even with this OTA rollout, we're talking about a very small percentage of phones are going to be on this. So they have to worry about carrying the weight of all of these past versions of of Android yeah. way back. I think that's going to make it hard to just scrap everything well, and go back to original. I think the processor is easier though. You think? Well, yeah. I mean, when when you look at uh and when you look at like sort of the Android distribution or, or, or what sort of, if you're talking about like 10% of, of actively used phones being on Marshmallow or something like that, you know, at some point they can just draw a line in the sand because most of the older phones are never going to get any meaningful updates. They're not getting any security updates. Yeah. You know, the, you know the, the smaller phone vendors aren't doing them. You know, even if the smaller phone vendors are doing them, there's a question whether or not your carrier ever gets around to releasing it. Um, you know, I think that would make it fairly easy for them to draw a line in the sand because they want. There's always players that want you to get the new phone. Yeah, um, it just, the processors are getting faster and faster. So at some point, backwards compatibility won't be too much of a stretch. Um, same way, kind of way that OS X did it when you know they had to support the old stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't see the line in the sand coming in terms of, of all like the rumors. They, there's no indication that yeah. that's coming. Yeah. But one thing we haven't covered. Um, that we've talked about was the anniversary update. We've never talked about it. Little post. bit. Little. We didn't talk about it after we put it on. Okay. Our computers. Did All you right. put it on? No, I haven't put it on yet. What? Neither have I. I've, I've got. <laughs> Maybe that's why we didn't talk well, that, about that's it. That's only because I have seen a couple issues with it. Um, like small things. Like like there's an app for the for VR called Big Screen, and the it this major new feature of it where you can stream audio to your friends that was broken with the anniversary update they fixed it but it was just like okay that's ish- that's an issue with it i'll just wait till the dust settles i have a super old webcam and it mm-hmm. wasn't like designed to work Webcams. with the anniversary update they've had a lot of problems with webcams so that's yeah. why i didn't do it have you used anniversary uh using it some on on one of the machines like the my two laptops haven't updated to it yet. Um, one of them is, I think, about when I think when I restart this, it'll update to the anniversary edition. Um, you know, Microsoft Edge finally getting extensions, you know, which is nice because uh, I finally started running an ad blocker on one of my older systems. Um, and, and everybody at home can laugh, but I've always been like, you know, I make my money off of advertising. I feel like I should I'd pay the advertising tax, but it's amazing to realize how much cruft is running in the background, especially in terms of really badly written sort of. Um, it's painful tracking apps. It was like I expected a performance improvement, but it was it was like getting ludicrous speed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after driving a 1956 Volvo, um, it was it was disturbing. Like to realize how much uh, how much the you know the advertising and a lot of the tracking applications that are kind of running in the background, um, the kind of stuff that you find out about if you run Ghostery, for example. And it's like, oh, there's 27 different things running in the background of this single tab, and I have 125 tabs open because I have research issues. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this for a second because, like, this whole like whitelist my site because I notice you're using an ad blocker, it's blocking my ads, blah blah blah. Right. 
Uh, the and the workarounds for it be, beyond whitelisting, which I hate for a lot of these sites because I don't trust the ads that are right. running on them to be safe, is like pay our subscription. Yeah, which is fine on the surface, but w- one thing I came up against the other day, I'm like, there's no way they make five dollars off of me in terms of ads by me paying the subscription. I would pay the normal freight. Like, let yeah. me pay you what you would make off of me in ads. That's they an know inter- that number. It's an interesting idea. Well, microtransactions as an idea has been floating around for 20 years. Um, well, 15 years maybe. But like, like, like I, I, don't, I, I don't think anybody's ever figured out a really good mechanism for it. And I also think uh, part of the issue with implementing microtransactions is because click fraud is so rampant. Um, they need to figure out a way to deal with click fraud before they're willing to do microtransaction fraud. <laughs> sure. I mean, the New York Times sort of has a model in the, like, you get the 10 free articles. Like, right. I would pay for some number of articles if they, like, were at least upfront and transparent sure. about what they're actually garnering for me from the ads. And I would pay a premium for it. But I just don't believe they make $5 off of me in ads. Like, I just know that market is imploding. Well, they may not care whether or not you believe that. They just that may be the the reasonable amount that they are willing to charge, or you know, I mean, one and of maybe the, I don't care about visiting their site. Yeah, you know, a, a friend of mine. Uh, that a, was petty. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> it was it was it was a friend of mine uh, 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 was selling advertisements for a very large media website a few years ago, and they had these little tiny ads that showed up sort of on like the right side of the page, let's say, and then they had the bigger ads that showed up you know, kind of underneath, kind of broke the article up. And the little tiny ads where they could fit four of them over in the corner had a 70 or 80% better return on performance than the big ads. And one of the, you know, the he was, you know, talking to somebody and the guy's like, yeah, look, I'm from company X and we don't buy anything smaller than, you know, this by this in terms of banner ads, period. You know, it's our image. And the guy's like, so I can I can increase your performance by a minimum of 4x, but you don't care. And uh, you, know, you can spend half as much, get a 4x improvement, and you don't want it because you have an image to maintain. It's like it's the way our company works. And it's, uh, you know, the way companies work, it's amazing to hear some of the justifications for how decisions are made about stuff like that, you know. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it may just be like the, you know, you know, if – you know, if they're paying a five percent vig to the credit card company or a three percent vig to the credit card company, I like how you call it a vig. <laughs> it is a vig. It's a vigorish. It's uh, you know, it's a taste. Um, you know, if they're paying like, you know, they, you know, what I mean, they have to implement that whole system. They have to pay a percentage to the credit card company. They have to deal with, you know, you know, I, it's it's. You know, I, yeah, I would like to see that. I would love to be able to sort of set up an account where I paid per article, and and you know. Newspapers would probably make a fortune off of me because I'll read one article and then I'll read seventeen more. Well, yeah, but you might, but some people might not. Like there's yeah. a there's a bag tax in San Francisco where you pay, have to pay it was like a dime. Yeah, if you want to have a bag with your lunch. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, people won't take the bag because that's ten cents. So that's just like doesn't matter how much right. it is. If, if you're paying anything, people won't do it. And so I think that that might deter people from using the website in a way that they don't want. You know, so, I partially bring it up because. Um, I, on Mother Jones, again, I have a podcast on the site. They did a big investigative journalism piece, and they wrote an article about how much it costs for them to do yeah. that piece. That was three hundred fifty grand. Loved that article. And then they wrote how much they generated from ads from a piece that they got a million hits. Yeah, and it was five thousand dollars. Yeah. 
And so they were like, hey, we're actually going to go a different way. But that transparency, like, really shifted mm-hmm. this idea of, like, what those ads are actually worth. And it actually made me want to keep the ad blocker on more because the value to the company on the other side ain't that much. Yeah. I yeah. wish I had a different mechanism well, sometimes. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, that, the, you know, the, an article that just came up on TechMeme this morning is Google's essentially saying that it's going to um, devalue the, the search ranks for, for really bad interstitial ads. They're going to start basically penalizing your search ranks. Especially if really? you do the pop-up ads uh, on that's mobile. That's huge, right? Cause that's you, interesting because I would think that that would try to work itself out. It's interesting. You would think it works itself out, but you know when you're looking at a lot of the uh, major media websites, they are all around. You know, in some cases, they have just turned into you know a, the story is an excuse to see how many ads they can get through there, and if the ad pops, they don't really care. There's, there's I mean, there's an interesting. There's a there's a fine line between we are driving away our audience, um, you know. Versus we don't care about driving away our audience because we get so many click-throughs because we have the best you know Google search results because we've been around for 20 years and we have a whole team of people that are working to, to keep our rankings really good. Um, I don't know. I heard Malcolm Gladwell put it this way. He's, he was describing Folger's Coffee, which <laughs> used to be really good coffee. Right. And he's like, at some point, there, like somebody said, oh, we have 100% coffee. Let's just make it 93% and see if anyone notices. And then no one notices, and then they take it down a notch. And pretty soon they're at like 60% coffee, and they have really shitty coffee now, and no one drinks it. And like they lose all sorts of market share. And I think there is that slope for, the, for these ads. <laughs> yeah. And so I maybe myopically believe what you're, you're saying, that it'll fix itself. But I'm glad that Google's putting a little bit of pressure on them. Like, yeah. I mean... Interstitials that show a pop-up that cover the main content that display a standalone interstitial that the user has to dismiss. Okay, so like this is PC Mag, this is Forbes, this is CNET, this is every like this is all the major websites right now. Um, you know, using a layout where the above the fold portion of the page appears similar to a standalone interstitial, but the original content has been inlined underneath the fold. Um, it's a really good article on this on Search Engine Land. This is this is a big deal because all of these companies thrive by their you know by by search. Uh, you know, traffic from search. Um, this, it's going to be crazy to There'll see. There'll be some new thing. SEO, man, right? It's a whole industry. Yeah, it's a huge industry. It's an important industry. Um, but it's also, it's like part of the reason these ads come up is because they're the ones that advertisers are willing to pay the most for. So well, this is going to get ugly. Yeah, it's going to get ugly. We get, we, this is the optimistic section, though. This is the optimistic. So I'm going to take us to the land of gaming where everything is okay <laughs> and all right uh, at all times. <laughs> Where things aren't going that well. Yeah, things are, but we, our first story is things aren't going that well. Let's talk about how Pokemon is losing a shit ton of users. Like, there's a report in ours that came out that they shed 10 million users um, in the last month. Which actually doesn't, like, it sounds like a lot, but when you do the percentages, it's not that well, much. Well, what is the percentage? Because I know they it went broke. from 45 million to somewhere close to 40. Because I couldn't, I couldn't get the chart large enough to actually accurately look at the numbers, <laughs> uh-huh. and they weren't using real numbers, but it was like they've gone from like 45 million users at peak to like 30 something million I users. I thought it was more than that. Wow. That is a ton of users. What well, are you talking no, but about? World, you know, War, World of Warcraft had 10 million, like 11 million at their peak, and that's an online MMO that costs you whatever bucks a month to, to play. This well, was a they free also, mobile I game. mean, they pulled out, like, what, $260, $270 million in the first five weeks on Pokemon Go? Insane. Um, Insane. Yeah, I know it broke that record. Wow. I actually, and 
I think it's bringing out all the, the haters have been like, this game was stupid all along. The game that I invested 50 hours of my life in. Like, <laughs> like chill out. But, I mean, I do think the burn rate isn't that atypical for a mobile no, game. It's totally. actually less. Yeah, pro- you're probably right. Because I, I heard it was something like 50% off, off your peak in the next month is usually what's normal. Is it that good? I would think yeah. 90% would, would go away, honestly. Because, I mean, everybody tries these games, especially the free-to-play ones. And if they're in the news, everyone's checking them out. Um, but then I would just think most people have to drop it and the hardcore stay. I know that it has the, um, there were reports of it actually pushing people to the DS games. Yeah, so I think that's a big question if it's going to pump up sales of the, the DS games that are out in just a couple months. Oh, yeah, I, I guarantee it will. It's, it's, I mean, this has brought Pokemon to the mainstream for sure. Yeah, my kid talks about Pokemon now. I there, don't like it. You can, it, <laughs> if you go on Thingiverse, you can now 3D print capture guides. So that you print them, you put them on top of your phone, and if you move your finger along this little guide, you'll always get a perfect capture. Yep. That's, that's why, yeah. we, why Thingiverse was invented, for that express <laughs> purpose. Thank, thank you. Uh, well, I'm still playing. I'm, seven, I'm level 17. Wow. Inching my way along. Jeez. Inching my way along. You could always just download the script and... And let it run. So a friend of mine did let his script run for 24 hours. He basically he he told the phone he was walking around Central Park and just let it run in the background for like 48 hours. And what is up? Went from like level zero to level 23. Does it capture Pokemon for you? Uh, Apparently, I'm not really. Or maybe it was just exercising the Pokemon he had. I'm I'm like I'm like keeping such a distance from this game. Like somebody played it. Somebody showed my kid one of the games. I just wanted to. Just like no. (laughs) For a couple weeks, that was what like it was an activity for us. Like yeah. we, my kids would say, can we go for a Pokemon walk? And we would go, walk around the neighborhood catching Pokemon. I mean, it's, honestly, it wasn't a bad use of our time. I'm, 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 I'm one level, I'm down with that. On the other level, like, you know, my kids will play reading games or, or you know. Absolutely. No, my, my daughter's favorite activity is math questions. But she, uh, she also digs on catching the Pokemon. And she, like, she knows. The weird thing was she actually knew some of the Pokemon. And I didn't know how. But <laughs> I, I guess she's watched it on Netflix. We're... Uh, cleaning up my kid's art table and he had Pokemon trading cards. And I was like, where did you get these? Yeah, I did that. I did that 80s thing. Where did these come from? I was just confounded. Well, was, I mean, I was, when, when Pokemon came out, I was old enough to look at this and be like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is a toy ad pretending to be a cartoon. And, and so that's, there's like, there's certain cartoons like that where like, I, I work really hard to keep them far away from my children. Because our, kids, our, our parents said that GI Joe, Transformers, GoBots, all that stuff. And look at yeah, this all now. That stuff they were was right. after, like I, I was out of the cartoon age by the time all that stuff came out. Really? Are you older than you look? <laughs> I'm older than I look. And also I lived in a, a, where it's now the third largest school district in Pennsylvania. But when I lived there, it was a, we still had like rural route delivery in the part of Pennsylvania. Where, What's that? Uh, that's that's where they they don't bother to number houses. The mail person just knows it's your house. That's hilarious! <laughs> wow, you grew up in the in the fifties. No, <laughs> no, I grew up in the in this case the eighties. But it was like we we're like an hour north of Philadelphia, and that was still right pretty empty. It I mean, makes it even more impressive that you're a long time technology reporter. <laughs> well, I was also I, my my dad made me learn. My dad looked at my handwriting and realized that like his handwriting was incomprehensible but beautiful. Mine was incomprehensible comprehensible and and looked like a drunken chicken had chat on the page um so he basically made me learn how to type he's like you know i nearly didn't get out of high school because people couldn't read my handwriting you're gonna learn how to type and i learned how to type and then i learned how to you know i started working on an ibm uh, compact portable two first uh, ibm model at then a compact portable two 
uh, and then started building Windows machines and then for a very short period and, and then started on the, the Macintosh ride. Uh, around the, my first portable Mac was a Duo 280C. I had like 12 megabytes of storage, man. What, what year was that? <laughs> that was like 90, 92, hmm. somewhere around there. I want to see the photo essay of all of your computers like, it's, lined uh... up. It would be amazing. <laughs> I would do that. I love that stuff. That would be fun. My first computer was a PC Junior, which was a short-lived IBM experiment with a wireless keyboard. Ooh, wireless. Yeah. Wireless keyboard. That was a bold move back yeah. then. <laughs> yep, three-channel sound, uh, 16 colors. It's what the Tandy computer was based on. So it was like, it was pretty high tech. I remember I would go into Radio Shack like every weekend to like play on the Tandy. It was like in the, in the store. All right. Well, there's an updated version of the Tandy that's coming out (laughs) September 7th. It's called the PS4. I would be also all over that. It's just like (laughs) this new uh, NES that's coming out this fall. (laughs) Well, there is a big PlayStation event, which we talked a little bit about uh, last week. That's on September 7th. And we got our first sneak peeks of what's coming out of that. Is anybody other than me fascinated that Sony's dropping their announcement on the same day? Is that, Apple? That yeah. Apple's doing their phone announcement. Apple like, hasn't officially announced that yet, but yeah, it's okay. gonna be. Yeah, it's I, gonna be that day. Come on. I hope so. It's a, it's getting close. They're not gonna like put it off a day just so Norm gets no, back from the Arctic. But, no, but it's odd they haven't announced it yet. It's what it's less than two weeks now. Yeah, it's true. But you know what we should do? Here's how you figure it out. You go try to book venues for, um, for like, you call up an, as, like, a, a band. Be yeah. like, I need Bill Graham Civic Center or, like, the Yerba Buena <laughs> Center for the Arts. And, like, I'm like, I'm sorry, we're booked on these days. That's how you figure it out. Okay. That's it. That's investigative journalism at its heart. Wow. Lying so you can figure out when <laughs> venues are booked. So, Social engineering. So the Slim was leaked. Is that right? Pictures of the Slim was leaked. It looks... Slim. Slim. <laughs> I knew it. It, de- it looks pretty different from the PS, uh, the, the uh, first generation of the PS4. It looks kind of like almost a set-top box now instead of like a gaming console. But I guess that's the way all of them are going. Um, the, re- the Slim doesn't really do anything for me. Um, it's really, they redesigned the controller. Yeah, that, well, it's the same controllers, but it just looks a little smaller. Yeah, <laughs> a little slimmer. I, yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's like the analog sticks; they don't, they don't, they're almost like they're hovering out below the rest of the controller. I'm wondering if that's going, if they did that with uh, the knowledge of, of like PSVR coming. I know you're going to be uh, most of the things right. are going to be oh, with weird. the wand, yeah. but if they were thinking about what the f- hand feel is like, interesting for the touch. Yeah, I wonder that too. That's a good point. I wonder. I, the Slim interests me because our PS4 overheats. It's, if it, it's in our cabinet below the TV and the door's not open, it overheats and it's just humongous. So we have these cables that kind of nudge the door out. It's a small problem. This this would be a first world problem. But I'm just I saying. I think we're beyond first world problems. <laughs> like, yeah, we're in it's the, like a San Francisco like, problem. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of a, interesting. I don't know what I'll be able to get for the old PS4, but if it's anywhere near. Several dollars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if it's anywhere near, if it makes sense to upgrade, I, I might do that. All right. Because I, I don't think they're. I wasn't particularly excited about the Slim coming out. I mean, we wanted to see a full refresh, but yeah. I'm definitely waiting a full year to do the console upgrade until we see the next generation. So there's the PlayStation yep. 4.5, there's the next generation Xbox. Xbox um, S, Xbone S, whatever yeah. it's called. And those are basically, you know. 0.5s. Yeah. The new Xbox does uh, 4K video. Yeah. And does Blu ray playback, which. 
Yeah. I, well, I know, but for some reason, I, I just could not get that into my head. And Robert Heron was like, we're talking to AVXL. He's like, no, it plays Blu-rays now. And I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, my bad. I but think it's going to confuse a lot of people. I think some people are going to expect that to play games of 4K. Yeah. And they're going to be surprised when all they're getting is 1080. Well, I, I do think the Slim's going to do well just because of the, if the VR bundles go. I think the Slim will fly off the shelf. Yeah. And, but we have to kind of wait and see. Like, what, like, we still are waiting for some of the bigger VR announcements to come out of PlayStation. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what I'm waiting for on the, on the 7th. I guess we, yeah, we might so. have to break into these. these uh, what are you talking about? The, like, divide and conquer and get out to some of these September 7th things. Norm's not around. Oh, yeah. You, th- yeah you think we can get into the Apple one? Sure. Yeah. I got recognized yesterday at the Cal Academy as being on the I, Tested Podcast. I wrote, it was weird. Oh, wow. I wrote Apple you know, like a, a couple of years ago, and I said, hey, I'm from Tested. I'd love to come to your event. And they wrote back, and they said, sorry, but tell me more about Tested. Oh. So I told them oh. about it, and uh, no call yet. We'll see. Maybe it, uh, you have to sign it, Mr. Jeremy Williams, for the respect. <laughs> so, they, so they know I'm married. <laughs> uh, one update on a story we uh, Jeremy alerted us to oh, yeah. a few weeks ago you talked about i was in going pittsburgh. going to pittsburgh and seeing the uber self-driving cars <laughs> well no i was told about them oh, by, told about by them. an uber driver um and i almost didn't believe him was he the seemed, uber driver pissed yeah he seemed no in fact he wasn't i was i was surprised by this whole experience and it, he actually picked me up in a pickup truck <laughs> and so he actually had a back seat but i right. sat up front with him so it was a very unique experience to begin with and then um I, I started saying, we, we had a long ride to the airport, so I was talking about how, you know, eventually Ubers are going to be self-driving. And he said, yeah, well, we're doing that here already. I was like, well, I, I would have heard about that. Um, but he said that they've had cruises mm-hmm. mounted with the rigs driving around Pittsburgh for the past several months. And sure enough, I got online and I checked it out, and that, that's, in fact, been the case. And now they've announced that beginning, is it this year? It's, I think it's 2017. Or oh. no, no, this month. Sorry, this month. That's interesting. That you'll be able to drive in a self-driving Uber car yeah. in Pittsburgh for free. Yeah, like right. if, you can order it, and it's sort of like the lottery. Yeah, I right. Think. But if you if you score a self-driver, it's a free ride. Now I don't know why they're doing a free ride. That that alarms me a little bit. It's like, well, well didn't the, they did have one of the Volvos kind of squish the CEO during the announcement? Is that right? Somebody said they had they had video of it of of oh, now I have to find it. But uh, hold on. Um, I have to think that, like, I've seen self-driving cars on YouTube, and they're they're cautious. So I have to I have to think like if you get one, you're signing up for a slow ride. Like you're you're going to be pulling out really carefully. Everything's to the letter. You're not going over the speed limit. But and there's no, limits to that. No because chances are taken. If you drive too slow, that's dangerous too. That's true. So they have to push it a little bit. But I don't think you're going to get the guy who's like, "Get me to the theater in ten minutes." <laughs> And I'll double your tip. Do you think it's going to be over a prescribed, like, small geographic area, too, just because they are going to want to test it where they... Have scanned. Yeah, they have scanned. Yeah, well, Dude was telling me, like, and he had this information because he actually gives rides to the people from... We're going to call him unnamed source now, just to be <laughs> yeah, responsible. Yeah, the Uber drivers. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, he knows people because uh, whatever. And um, People talk. He was saying that their scanning system doesn't even use GPS. Because they have scanned so accurately every millimeter of the pavement, they know exactly where they are to the to the mil, millimeter. Um, so you're right; they're, they're going to want to do it where they where they've scanned. So maybe that's just downtown. I don't know, but it's coming up. I mean, imagine we're going to see some videos of this pretty pretty soon, and that's really interesting. I I think it, it's going to be fascinating. I, I almost want to fly home just to 
like wander around yeah. up Pittsburgh and be like, I'm going to take an Uber from here to here. Will there be a driver behind the wheel? Yes. Or legally, Ubers? there yes. has to be. Okay. They are not like level four driverless. Have you seen the chart? Like the, the levels? The, of, yeah. NISTA put out a chart. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're, try- they're aiming for level four, but currently there has to be a driver behind the steering wheel prepared to take over at any moment. Excellent. Well, that's what, that's what I want. Someone to talk to, too. And, but they have also announced that they are purchasing a bajillion Volvos uh, for, that are self-driving. Weren't they trying to buy Teslas and Tesla said no? That's what dude was telling me. Trying to buy Teslas. And then I, I've read online that they fell out that they couldn't get a deal. So they went to Mercedes. Now the new articles are saying they've gone to Volvo. Volvo and that's a, that's a signed deal. Yeah. Maybe those are the ones to ride in because they're so safe, they're going to take them up to speed. No. Yeah, Volvo is super safe. Yeah, super safe. So yeah. these are these are going to be the ones they get into wreck. But this is five years from now. Like the yeah. the the real official rollout. It sounds like it's five years from now. Would you Would you go get in the self driving one in in Pittsburgh in five years? No, no. no. I mean, yeah. if you if we are in Pittsburgh right now, would you try to get in one of those cars? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because I would feel obligated to cover it for tested. <laughs> Forget the the covering it for tested. Why wouldn't you? I just want to do it. Yeah, like right. it sounds so much fun. Have you been in one yet? A self-driving? Yeah. Yeah? Well, can you say what it was? I, no, it was a thing at like CES a few years ago. It was very early. It was very primitive. It was like it was like being in one of those speaking of so it was like being in one of those little kitty electric kitty cars that was <laughs> like 3 miles an hour. I mean, it was, this was years ago. Yeah. It's um, really unsettling. I find the self-parking cars, like the, the self-parallel parking mode in cars, really unsettling, in part because, you know, my my dad and my grandfather were salesmen at different points, driving fifty to 100,000 miles a year. Um, so driving is something I drive a lot of pleasure from. Uh, and it's also very surreal to watch, like, the machine park itself. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I love the idea of, of my car being able to drive. You know, like, you know I, I hate flying. You know, I'll drive to Vegas for CES instead of flying whenever I can, but it's a nine-hour drive. So the idea of the car driving itself for nine hours is fascinating to me. Um, but, you know, I also remember when one of the most brilliant people uh, in the history of the planet invented, you know, the stand-up scooter that was going to change the way uh, everybody moved in cities. And it would be impossible for anyone to have an accident. And, you know, somebody managed to dive off of one and have a head injury inside, like, the first week. Um, so yeah. I'm, I am curious to watch. Wasn't autonom- that President Bush? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> he thought it was I'm, me, like, two weeks ago here in the tested <laughs> office. I can tell you that. The, uh, the, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, look, we, we all, you know, are, are hip deep or ankle deep or neck deep or hair follicle deep in technology. And the reason, you know, for example, I have a job doing tech thing is because so often it does not work the way it's supposed to. You know, which is kind of a bummer if a video game crashes, but yeah. it, the stakes are considerably higher. So, yeah. you know, it's, however, that said, like there's a lot of technology in cars now. And yes. Typically, they go, they, it works very well. Yes, but it's also very low level technology that doesn't have a lot of importance. You know what I mean? Like, as somebody who's been mostly driving like a stone, dumb, like the most sophisticated computer in my truck is, is the, the, is the uh, laptop in your backpack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> followed, you know, by my phone, followed by my MP3 player, followed by this $9 chip PC, distantly followed by, um, you know, the, the anti-lock brake system controller. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's pretty brute force stuff. That's pretty simple. And I understand that they're going to be able to throw clock cycles, 
you know what I mean? And, and so much computing power today at, at autonomous driving, but it's still kind of mind boggling to think of, you know, a, a, a vehicle learning enough or the system learning enough to deal with all the, I mean, we drive here in the Bay area. Like I've, I started driving at like 15 or 16, you know, through Newark. Like my first drive with my learner's permit was to pick up family on like a Thursday or Friday night from Newark airport, right? Full blown, like six lane insanity. Um, you know, and then I moved and I thought the worst traffic could get would be like, you know, drunk people in Manhattan on a Saturday night. And then I got or the Jersey Shore. And then I got to like to see an average Tuesday morning in San Francisco where like people don't understand turn signals. Yeah, we suck at driving. Well, yeah, it's just like I'm going to change lanes and decelerate while not using my turn signal. Then I'll ignore that stop sign because I have to make up the time I lost for yeah. going. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like we've talked about before on the show how there's going to be an intermediate period. Well, once everything is self-driving, yeah. then they can all mesh communicate and it'll be a lot safer want but, everything to be self-driving but, but this intermediate period where some are and yeah. they have to respond to the human drivers that's even more difficult yes the uncanny valley of, yeah. of, of autonomous the, vehicles. the valley that i have heard about a lot of people that have been in self-driving cars a lot say is that you have this period of unsettling yeah. where you just it's going to be weird and uh and then you're kind of go to a lot of them describe being like amazed. You're like, wow, this is this is working, right? And then it just gets boring. Yeah, I feel like like, and we're I want to get to boring. Too. Me too, me too. And that's I, why I want to go for a ride. I, I think thing. there's something about people like us that remember 300 baud modems. <laughs> that that have we have we just since we saw cars the, without seat this belts. is turning into the old man cast not the <laughs> i think th- i think there's a perspective shift between our generation and the next where like we can't imagine computer or you know cars being self-driving of like as well as they need to be right because we know the limitations of computers but those are like an onion just the the layers are peeling away and it's becoming more and more possible to a degree that's hard for us to even fathom whereas the, our kids they don't know how this stuff works they just expect it to and I and I hope and believe optimistically that within five years we're going to be able to see that. I hope. I hope so too. I hey, know. look, an optimistic note. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, imagine like telling the car to go to Zion and and you know picking up a copy of War and Peace and then just you know going offline for the next thirteen hours. I mean, I'm down with that. Concept. I'd be pretty happy just getting to the grocery store right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's weird is that if you look at the Model Three, it just has that one dash in the center. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like a self driving car. Right. I mean, and that's, who knows? Well, any other technology news you want to cover before we move on? I, I did. It, that was too positive. Because I, I want to mention, <laughs> I want to mention one story along, while we're on the topic of, uh, of something that happened to Tesla. There was uh, somebody going on a test drive in France this week, and the car burst into flames. This is a Model S. Dude was on a test drive with a Tesla employee in the car. That's always awkward. They heard a loud sound. A warning came up on the screen. <coughs> they stopped the, I guess the Tesla employee asked the driver to pull over, please. And then he did, and they all evacuated. Within one minute, the car was in flames. And within five minutes, the car was engulfed and completely destroyed. And they're safe, right? Let's start there. Everybody's safe. Everybody's and, safe. And, and te- is it the, something happened to the batteries? Nobody knows. Like, Tesla heard about this is just... A matter of, of days ago, Tesla's gone out, they're investigating, they promised to share all the information soon. But something has something must have punctured into the battery, like through the, the safety wall, into the battery. Bad news. Yeah, I also saw, I think Elon Musk tweeted out a, a story and a picture of a different Tesla driver that was in an accident, mm-hmm. and it was gnarly kind of accident, but had talked about how, like, yeah. the, how the structure right. that they put in the Tesla saved 
his life. So I, I think we're just going to have to get used to those stories. There's going to be a lot of those stories coming up. Well, and it's also, I mean, it's, it's a new technology. It's unproven. It's, it's people are really paranoid about it. I mean, people still don't realize how many automotive accidents are annually and how much they've dropped in the last couple of years. I'm, I'm curious to see if that's because, or automotive fatalities. I'm, I'm curious to see if the last dip in automotive fatalities was because nobody could afford gas a couple of years ago, or if that's because the technology has made the cars so much better. Because I mean, I've, I've, I've been in crashes in like 50s era cars and I've been in crashes in, in you know, modern crumple zone design cars and the experience hmm. is radically different. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I had a deer jump out in front of my Volvo in, in an industrial part of New Jersey a few years ago, and it was amazing to see like like the car was completely screwed up. Um, the deer, you know, fortunately passed away. Like the deer started to get up and like, oh god, I'm going to have to kill this wounded deer with two broken legs. You know, with uh, what do I have? Great, I have a tire iron in my trunk. This is going to be a great memory. Oh my god. Well, you know, it's not like I'm running around with a you know slug loaded twelve gauge in the back of my Volvo Good. in North Jersey, um, and, and it died. Uh, and, it, and it like it literally like put its head up and looked at me and then went its tongue came out and the head hit the ground and I was like well that was an experience wow. but it's amazing how much safer ve- all vehicles are at this point compared to what they used to be real time fact checking Patrick Norton statements uh, they are on decline uh, US uh, I'm just looking at US mm-hmm. data they're about uh, a little over thirty thousand and there was a a downtick during the recession okay. Uh, that is probably attributable, though it's not 100%, to gas prices. Okay. And maybe the employment rate. It, yeah. I mean, it's or hard to say. Of. I mean, if there's less people right. commuting, like, is it because of gas prices? Is right. it because of employment? I think that's hard to tease out. Okay. Um, but they have uh, declined, at, at least I think since 2013, it looks like about 3%. There was a slight uptick in 2012 when there's probably a surge in employment there. Are Teslas that low to the ground? I mean, I haven't really, I haven't measured like the gap between the bottom of a Tesla and the ground. At well, the center point. of gravity is extremely low. Yeah, but yeah. the center of gravity yeah. is, is about weight. It's not about the physical right. distance. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, and it's a good question. Cause, you know, because it's like you know, gas tanks are at the bottom of the car too, but you don't hear a lot of stories about gas tank punctures leading to car fires. Well, you don't hear a lot of punctures for Teslas either. I mean, I want to know what they ran over. Like three, yeah. yeah. Like there's been like three reported cases at this point. Yeah. Well, uh, when Elon's on the show next week, we'll ask him. <laughs> It'll be cool. <laughs> uh, I think we have um, Norm on the line here. Oh, really? He's going to bring a message. Norm, how are you doing? Of importance. This is only a test is supported by City Cards with Android Pay. Listening on your phone? Now you can pay while you listen using the same device. Just tap and go. Download the Android Pay app on Google Play or visit city.com slash Android Pay to get started. Android Pay is available for eligible City consumer credit and debit cards. time for a moment of science so on that same optimistic trail we've been on let's talk about the horrible flooding in louisiana oh my gosh uh, it's been stark right and uh most climate scientists have been very hesitant to attribute any one storm to climate change but now the flooding is starting to ramp up there's evidence that this is really linked and there was an incredible story in gizmodo it's probably the best thing i read all week about south florida and the problem they're facing with potential flooding with sea level rise 
And particularly, they went out into the Everglades and looked at how the saltwater penetration into like the marsh area is changing the dynamics of mm-hmm. what flood is going to look like in the area. And then you talked to one researcher that was like, when we talk about sea level rise, you kind of get this picture that it's going to slowly rise by like, you know, a few meters over the course of the century, you know, like somewhere between three and six feet is what they roughly say. Mm -hmm. And you picture, oh, it's over like 50 years. So it's, you know, a few inches a year. Um, That's a big deal, but it doesn't give you that. And, but what one researcher said is like, we're watching sea level rise here happening right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've monitored a a foot rise over the last like 30 to 40 years. A vertical foot, not, not a foot onto the shore, a vertical, vertical foot. foot. Yeah. And he talks about it as coming in pulses. And the pulses create huge problems because then you get the saline water penetrating into the marsh much deeper, causes all sorts of degradation of the life that acts as sort of a seawall for you Mm -hmm. there. And as that stuff breaks down and dies, now you create all of these ecosystem of problems that erodes your sort of protection against the next pulse. And it was terrifying reading this thing <laughs> it was it was terrifying because it was like sea level rise when they always talk about 2050 yeah and i see those maps of like all the airports going underwater and stuff like uh that's still 2050 that feels far away this is now uh and this is one of those first stories i've read where i've been like shit this is now this, like uh, part of florida is just gonna go away and, you know, people make snarky comments about, like, ah, Florida, that's not so bad. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, it's bad in general because most of the population of the planet lives fairly close to the water, uh, usually at places where there's surprisingly long, slow grades from the ocean uh, inland. Um, it's it's kind of it's, – it's, it's flat out scary. Yeah. Um, and you know what was the sign? And this is the changing way of how we – communicate science is a little inside baseball the -hmm. reason i knew this is a good story i read the story on gizmodo and i was like wow that was incredible and then every trusted science journalist that i follow on twitter tweeted out the same story over the course of the next like two days (laughs) there are like every single one like from the new york times down to the freelancers were like this is like the important piece that you're going to you know of the month um so i i'll put a link in the in the show notes and Everyone can check it out. But let's change to something more positive. Something we're going to talk about in our last segment. Let us talk about Wi-Fi, our shitty Wi-Fi connections in our homes. Because there was a new study that came out of MIT about Mega Mimo. But before we get to Mega Mimo, that's, let's talk about Mimo. That's a Pokemon, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. It's Charmander. Or an old Fred. Capcom game. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, you're probably familiar with Mimo when it comes to Wi-Fi. Yes. You want to talk about it briefly before I talk about what the the actual science of what they did is? It's Wi-Fi that sucks less by using multiple transmitters simultaneously and doing beam forming, which is the idea that you're kind of going to you know use multiple antennas to direct the Wi-Fi signal towards the thing it's trying to talk to. And the big problem with Mimo is that as the number of Wi-Fi devices come online, we set ourselves up for a lot of interference where basically people are using the same channel and frequency. Yeah, it's messy, and then it slows down, and then people get pissed off. 
So a research group out of MIT at CSAIL, which is their sort of computer science infrastructure department, actually came up with a new version of MIMO that actually prioritizes the signals so they're not sent over at the same frequency at the same time. So it's essentially sort of like almost like how we've you know, treat packets like treating Wi-Fi signals in that same way, yeah. uh, prioritizing access. And they were able to get uh, an increased data throughput in their sort of test simulations of a factor of 3.6 using a sort of real-world scenario where there's a ton of... Ex- using of, existing e- wireless protocols. Yeah. Wow. And using like a real-world scenario where you're right. in like a home with a bunch of Wi-Fi devices at, at the same time, um, which, is, which is pretty amazing because this isn't a hardware move i mean there there's some there's probably some subtle hardware differences in some of the transmitters but this is like mm-hmm. about using like similar infrastructure that we have now like a router and you know not changing any of our devices really right so you're saying this is a potentially a firmware update uh hard to know they have to change some of the transmitter things but oh. the idea of like you just buying a, a router off the shelf that yeah. has this integrated it is, also sounds like they keep saying like you know they're coordinating multiple access points so multiple access points will use the same frequency to communicate to one device. So this sounds like sort of, a, you know, it sounds like a cousin to the existing mesh work network devices, the Amplify, the Eero, and the other ones, um, but with 100% more oomph or 360% more oomph. Um, hmm. Is this one of those uh, MIT incubators that are going to be? No, it's not Media Lab. It's actually like a research unit. Cool. So... Uh, it'll be a ways away, but it was a, the the results are pretty promising. I'm going to skip the next one because Jeremy put it on there. I'm going to come back to it because I <laughs> Did you read it, it is one of the craziest backstories ever. Oh, you know about it already. I know about it, right, and good, it good, it's good. insane. Um, there's a couple of anniversaries. Ten years ago today, we said, uh, Pluto, get the fuck out. <laughs> Ten yeah. years ago, uh, today we kicked Pluto out of the solar system. Your, I did. Your, your buddy Neil deGrasse played a role in that. He had a role, but I think it's overstated how much a role he was. He, he, said, he, he says, was on he, the committee. He says as much. Yeah. yeah. So the real person you want to blame is <laughs> Mike Brown. He's a uh, astrophysicist at Caltech. His Twitter handle is at Pluto Killer. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think he deserves Great. more credit. Sometimes he's you just got to own it. He's also the lead researcher on the team that potentially found a 10th um, uh, planet in the solar system. Um, they, they found sort of a mathematical probability that there's something. The out big there. one out there. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that before. Um, but happy anniversary, guys. <laughs> That's all you got to say about this? Yeah, I mean, I still it's feel a, bad for Pluto. Why? I mean, cause. Because. It's because a, Pluto the dog? Because it's a Disney character? Yeah. No, I hate. Because you grew up with that. Because of the Dave Matthews lyric, nine <laughs> planets around the sun, right? That, that kills you now. Apparently, I've never actually heard that song. <laughs> so my, my kid, because he's grown up in a post-Pluto world, yeah, only ever talks about eight planets. That's interesting. And, uh, you know, the thing that makes me feel better about Pluto getting kicked out is we always think about these planets being nice spherical objects. And for the most part, they are. Pluto's not. It's misshapen. It is, it. Like, it is misshapen. Its yep. orbit's all out wow, of whack. Its orbit's misshapen, too. Yeah. It's like, it is a mutant out there. And there's other bodies as and large as it is. don't deserve love? No, but... Why don't that, you just leave it on a hillside to die, Spartan? I mean, <laughs> we didn't actually physically send a, a device out there to blow it up. I mean, we just demoted it. <laughs> it's fine. It's still there. No problem. Um... On, <laughs> on another note, uh, NASA found something they lost this week. Uh, they sent out two um, 
spacecraft, Stereo A and Stereo B, uh, to image solar pulses. And uh, they lost one. They I lost Stereo that. B for two years. Wait, what, what are these? They lo- they're, sat- they're basically like, um, they're not satellites because they're not in orbit, but they're essentially spacecraft that were transmitting data back about imaging the sort of solar pulse arena. And they sent you know, two versions of the same postcraft, uh, spacecraft in different directions so they could get this kind of stereo image of, of something together oh. to different positions. Right. So one of them they lost contact with yeah. two years ago. Uh-huh. And NASA has something straight out of sci-fi called the Deep Space Network. It's a, like a radio listening station, and they reestablished contact with it like two days ago. And you could watch the data come in live because it's so far away um, I believe you can you can still do it right now. You can just like they have a website set up where you can see the data coming in from the deep space network. It's pretty cool. Yeah, huh. I mean they're basically trying to figure out what the causes of of the coronal mass ejections when, that disrupt communications yeah. and stuff. It's like a really cool mission, but it's also got to be awkward when a satellite just excuse me a space vehicle. Yeah. Unmanned space vehicle just disappears for two years, I, and it comes back after two years. This is like some, straight out of science Dude, fiction. Dude, I, I guarantee you, at, at the JPL, wherever they're monitoring newly launched spacecraft, every time something works, they say, "Oh my god, it's working!" <laughs> I mean, I can't believe that this stuff actually functions. The fact that this, it loses communication, I think, would be the norm. This loops back so nicely to our conversation about self-driving vehicles. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, what this information means, they're it's going to be really hard for them to, like, you know, reorient and send signals. Right now, they're just trying to establish contact with it again and make sure, you know, there's no aliens on board and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, that's you know, for a later podcast. We'll see. All right. Now we got to talk about the one Jeremy wanted to talk about, which is a really. We have to talk about the one Jeremy wanted to talk about. Um, you can just tell them what the title of this is. Oh, well, um, Human Head Transplant. Yeah, so this is going to happen, people. Uh, all right, <laughs> all right. So this is a weir- really weird story. So there is an it- Italian neurosurgeon that is working with a Chinese neurosurgeon who claims that he has transplanted a head on a chimp. Oh, he's the same one that did that this mon- in, or monkey, sorry, in not chi- a chimp in yeah, China. In China, and um, there's not a lot of evidence to claim what they said was successful. And now he has come out with a statement that there is a Russian man who is essentially a paraplegic, mm-hmm. uh, who has a really rare um, genetic condition, terminal illness, terminal yeah. illness, that he's going to transplant a human head on a new body. All right. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to chill his head down to minus 15 C. Along with the donor body. Along with the donor body, which is going to be somebody that, you know... Uh, that seems died. awfully cold. Yeah, it's very cold. They're going to evacuate some of the fluids, we'll just say, um, from the donor <laughs> body. And uh, then they're going to attach it and like hook up all of the, the arterial systems, the circulatory systems, fill it up with blood. But the real trick is going to be the spinal fusion, yeah, was, which is really complicated. Yeah. I mean, I've always been taught that the brain and the spine are one, that they are intertwined such that they, one can't live without the other. They're going to attach his head, his brain, to the donor's spine. They claim they're going to attach claim. his right. brain to the donor's That's spine. That's it? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a family member that had a traumatic head injury. And um, if they go into a coma, which is 
possible because of an epileptic condition they have. Um, and you attach the, the wires to them. They don't actually show up as having brain function because their neurological system has rewired itself in a way human neurological systems aren't supposed to be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, there's sort of standing invitations for her to be brought in to be wired up like a lab rat so, so you know, scientists can kind of figure out what's going on there. This is, like, this is non-trivial. Like you know what I mean? Like I just want I That's just want to true. say like like this is okay. Non-trivial no. doesn't begin to describe yeah. what this is. Like uh, it gets weirder though, and it, like there's one place it gets really weird. So this would be a a feat beyond okay. what is yeah. thought of as capable. I mean, this is the, Mary Shelley Frankenstein territory. This is yes. full on That's like right. this and, is Peter Thiel territory, and we've <laughs> identified the right thing. So the cooling of the body and like the evacuation of different fluids and, and putting it back in. That actually has a lot of evidence to support it. It's okay. this spinal fusion that people don't believe at all. Yeah. Okay. You were about to say something. No, I before mean, I get to the really weird. I just part. wanted to finish. This isn't oh, even the weird, the really weird part. <laughs> I just wanted to finish the facts of the story, so that they're going to spend two days doing this operation. Yeah, it's a two-day operation. They've raised something like eighteen million dollars. This is where it gets weird. <laughs> and um, they're going to put him into a coma for one month after the operation in order to prohibit movement and right. to allow for healing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's a nice statement. So in January. Uh, him and his, uh, and this guy's name is Sergio Canavero, and his colleague in China, Xiaoping Ren, published a paper, paper article, uh, in a surgical um, a journal in January that is one of the most bizarre pieces of, of science that I've read in a long time. And yeah, so they talk finished. about the project, and it's called Heaven, of course. Of course. Of course. An acronym for HEAD. You better pronounce that. No, I'm not pronouncing this. A- anastomosis venture. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. It's some crazy head anastomosis venture. And he writes this thing about how heaven is going to uh, be the beginning of or the solution to all of the pan- uh, quote unquote Pandora's box of medical failures. And he goes on a two page rant about how the the system of science we do of peer review is totally broken. Because people, essentially, the underpinning is like people won't fund my crazy idea, and and so peer review is broken. And he starts calling out particular people in it. He calls out Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, what all of these other philanthropists that founded something called the Breakthrough Prize, um, because they won't support his effort to transplant a human head that no one believes will actually work. Mm. And he goes on this massive rant. In a, in a paper about how Nobel Prizes are awarded incorrectly, how the whole establishment is against him. There's a video that you, you put in the show notes of him talking. He's a crazy person. He appears fully crazy. So has anyone seen The Chimp? No, and not, okay. I couldn't find any evidence of the, the monkey. Trip. This article mentions that there are stitches around its neck. Okay. So someone's seen The Chimp. I haven't seen a picture of, of the chimp. It is, I, all I can say, it, like this paper, and I want to like put that paper up, is one of the most bizarre things I've read. He sounds like a madman. He is a, a mad full-on madman, uh, as best I could tell. But this is, so this operation is going to happen, it's scheduled for December 2017. Yeah, he's written, it's not going to happen. This it's, isn't going to happen. Why not? No. I, why? Like, so not only do I not believe the spinal fusion science of this, uh-huh. I don't believe he has the $18 million. Uh-huh. Do you think, like, it, there's no reason to trust anything this guy has to say? Okay. I mean, this would be 
And like, I, I imagine this is going to end up on like some Fox reality show if it does happen. <laughs> That's how little I actually believe this is going to happen. But uh, it is one of the weirdest, most confounding stories in science I think I've come across. Yes, where did you find the paper? I mean, what, what, where was it published? Uh, it was uh, some journal. I'm, I'm forgetting the name. It's like the Journal of Surgical Neurosurgery. I don't know. So like, a, a it, legitimate... That can't be the name of the journal, by the right. way. I mean, was it a legitimate journal or was it? Yeah, but he, okay. I mean, he wrote like, it, it's not like a research paper. He wrote right. an article in it. Um, and he called it a call to arms. And it's just a complete rant. It's I think it's hilarious. Can't wait to get a note from him after this podcast. <laughs> as long as he doesn't show up outside your door with a satchel and <laughs> a sack <laughs> full of eighteen million dollars and a saw, I'll be worried then. <laughs> Want to be a donor, buddy? <laughs> How do you feel about head transplants now? On a different note, I have a recommendation to tested uh, viewers. Uh, there's an event here in San Francisco, September twenty first and twenty second called uh, uh, Dent the Future, which is a number of speakers on the future of space exploration coming together. Our own Simone Yetch will be there, uh, along with a number of friends of Tested, including Mary Roach um, and others. It's a free event. Go check it out. Amazing lineup of speakers. You'll be there? Uh, yeah, I'll probably go. Right. I'm not speaking. I don't know anything right about on. space. So, Cool. <laughs> The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. Let's keep the optimistic train going. Let's, uh... Okay, oh, no. Oculus. Lawsuit. Let's go. Well, they already had... There was a lawsuit in play. Like So, Zenimax, uh, the parent company of id Software, former um, employer of John Carmack. Creation um, of John Carmack? Employer? Creation? <laughs> They, um, a, this lawsuit's been in existence for yeah, a long time. Yeah, so, but there was a chance for them to settle, so they're not going to settle. Um, they, they accused uh, Oculus basically of stealing Zenitech, or, I'm sorry, uh, Zenimax tech to make the Oculus Rift. And um, their latest statement doesn't, isn't as vague. It goes as far as to explicitly say that John Carmack, while still employed at Zenimax, took uh, hundreds of files out of the office on a USB stick, you know, Edward Snowden style. And never returned them or destroyed them, and used those that um, data in order to you know help Oculus create the Oculus Rift. They also accuse Brendan Aribe of being implicated, and uh, they say Palmer Lucky didn't have the tech- technical acumen to do what he says that he did, and that his whole backstory that has been promoted of making the Oculus the initial prototype in his mom's garage has been fabricated. So this is going to court, and they have accused Oculus. Oculus you know, released a two-sentence reply rebuttal um, saying, basically, this is a one-sided description. This isn't the whole story, and we'll, we'll see you in court. I assume this won't get to court anytime soon. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, uh, but discovery in this case would be fascinating. Yeah. Because they're going to bring out all sorts of weird evidence for yeah. this. <laughs> and the, the, everyone who's been following Oculus knows that it all started at E3, like 2014. Right. Um, no, it could have been that. It was like, what, 2012, 2013, when John Carmack demonstrated the uh, Doom BFG using Palmer's, you know, ski goggles that have been duct taped to some lenses and a, and a display uh, to show off VR and 
you know, Carmack showed it behind closed doors to a number of people, and there were several videos, and they said, this is the strongest VR experience you can have right now. And that became that led to the Kickstarter, which led to the you know Oculus being funded as a company and the million dollars that millions of dollars that they raised. Um, so Carmack was at Zenimax when he helped Lucky. You know, mm-hmm. there's um, no disputing demonstrate that. that. So it's, it'll be interesting to see, as you said, what comes out. Um, it's a it's a really fascinating thing, and Zenimax clearly wants a part of this VR action. And it's because because there's no action on this lawsuit for like two years. Yeah, and it's it, because they were trying to settle and they just couldn't come to anything. Is that what what the guess is? I bet Zenimax is happy to let it go because they they see how what they see the momentum. And if Facebook turns VR and the Oculus into a bigger bigger industry, it's going to be worth more and more to them. I mean, does it appear to be? I mean, they're basically accusing, you know, if I if I'm reading this correctly, they're basically accusing. You know, lucky of getting everything he did to build the Oculus Rift from Carmack, stolen from Zenimax, yeah. and that you know has completely fabricated this entire thing. Yeah, um, and um, it sounds like you know there's probably a, a case to be heard on both sides. Like I would like, yeah, to- but I could, I could, I could bring a case that you beat me half to death with a shovel, <laughs> and, and then I forgot to go to the hospital. You know, what I mean, like you can bring right. you know, this is you know, the chilling effect. We were talking about this earlier. I mean, people bring cases all the time. Yeah, no, the, I have n- more respect for John Carmack than anyone in the industry, just because I have been following his sure. entire career. I believe he is. He's earned that. One of the most intelligent people in the in the industry. I don't believe. I don't believe he would have made a mistake like this. So I I have faith that Oculus will, you know, defend themselves. Well, let's move on from the legal stuff into the more fun stuff. Big screen. Yeah, so there's a huge big screen update. Have you tried this yet, this app? I haven't tried big screen yet. Big screen is, uh, have you tried it, Patrick? No. It's it's an environment where you can go in um, and be social with other people, and you can share your screen. It's a a social screen sharing app, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, When it launched, there was one environment, kind of like an apartment, and you could get together with three other people, I believe it maxed out at four people tops, and everyone could see everyone else's screen um, hovering in front of them or projected onto a wall, and you could warp around the room, and um, you could talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, um, they've released a huge update this this week that includes avatars, so now everyone doesn't look alike. You hmm. can now create a, like a me, or, you know, what is that? The, the me's, right? Um, create an avatar, however, make it look however you want. Um, there's really interesting eye tracking in it. It's, you know, it's Virtual eye, virtual eye tracking, <laughs> but it's it's simulated in such a way that actually is pretty good. And um, the blinks are strangely tied to your head movements, so it actually looks very natural. Um, there's lip syncing um, that that's done very well, and you can now finally, it's out of beta. You can stream audio to the environment. Oh, that's environment. great! So now everyone can watch a movie together or watch you play a game, and soon you'll be able to choose who gets to control the audio. So I know it's a a, a totally different style but how would you compare it to alt space which is the other kind of you know mainstream yeah. social app right now um i i haven't spent much time in alt space i spent a bunch of time in alt space this week did you? because i've i haven't had any of those social experiences so i did the opposite it's a big screen i yeah went and tried alt space i feel a little faceless in alt space i guess is what i would say i don't know it's a kind of different experience because you can walk through alt space whereas yeah. big screen is really holding fast to the locked environment they don't want to push the motion sickness factor at all a lot of people want them to allow that as an unlock for people who are comfortable with moving around the the virtual environment um but they they have these nodes that you can warp to and then walk around in your room scale um 
I don't know. Um, so it, it looks more finished at this point now, the, especially with these new avatars. You can also um, play side-by-side 3D video games, such as the new Deus Ex, which supports, if you have a monitor that supports side-by-side 3D video, you can play that in VR in 3D. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it's an interesting way to play 3D because, it's, it's, in a way, it's better than 3D glasses because each eye is actually getting an independent image. Um, and, you know, there's no flickering or anything like that. Um, it, it's cool. It's got. Um, it's also av- available on Oculus Home. So it's it's evolving as the social app, and it's interesting to watch that happen. Is it more of a social app, or is it more just letting you use your computer inside of the Oculus? They're VR framing it as as a virtual desktop with social features. Okay, that's their priority. It's like a virtual desktop, which is interesting because like there is virtual desktop. There is a, like an app that does that mm-hmm. exclusively, but this is that same thing, but done more cute <laughs> and in VR for the business. From yeah, for I collaboration. Mean, you never, I mean, it could, like, there's a future with that, don't you think? I think, the, I mean, this is a stepping stone towards yeah. virtual makeouts uh, on Facebook. Yeah. You know, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, that, <laughs> that needs better haptic feedback. Uh, there's a lot of game reviews starting to deploy. We're seeing some awards. Uh, Abduction is one you picked out. Uh, well, I haven't played it, but Abduction is the from the creators of Myth and Riven. Whoa. Uh, Mist. I'm sorry, not, what did I say? Myth. Uh, Mist and Riven. Um, I don't know. I, I hope I don't have to explain what those games are, but um, they have come back to make another game. How would you explain Mist? I have no words for that. <laughs> Looks game. beautiful. Um, but the weird thing was the VR version was fully reviewed and the, the reviews were unembargoed and published. But then on release day, they announced that there would be a delay to the VR version. So it's done. Right. Enough for people to review it. None of the reviewers complained. They all, like, it's gotten consistently good reviews. Like, is it a touch game? Or um, is it on. Um, I don't know. The, no. the the review that was linked to said it's frustrating and often cumbersome controls and VR movement makes exploring and backtracking a chore. Um, oh, like that's the a game problem. Was, if the game was great, but the stuff that makes it VR sucks. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I wonder if they, if they got wind of some of those reviews and are making some tweaks. Yeah, if they're from the creators of Myth, backtracking is an important component of that game. I, I read mostly positive things. Um, well, everybody seems to love the actual game itself. Yeah. In this particular review, they were just kind of like... I'm excited about it. I just think it's interesting that they announced the delay on release day. That's a little, little odd. Uh, but they also there's another game that was released and was officially released is the new pack of pinball games. For, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. We last said week. it was coming. Now mm-hmm. it's here. It came out yesterday for us Tuesday. Uh, pinball FX two, uh, Pinball FX two VR season one has been released and it's twenty twenty five bucks I think. Nice. Uh, five tables works great in the pin sim uh, and it's awesome. It's a uh, I just love having more than three tables in this game. Uh, the, the voice, the audio is standard for this company, not the greatest. Uh, the voices kind of sound half-hearted uh, and um, prob- you know, could be easily replaced with something better. Uh, the music's not great, but the tables are beautiful. The gameplay is fun. Um, it's, it's so gr- everything we want it to be. And it works well with the Pinsim? Yeah, we're screwed with the Pinsim. I just wish that this company would release their actual license tables. Their Star Wars tables, I think, would be great. Obviously, that's going to cost them more money to make those. I've been meaning to ask, can, can you do English on the pin sim table you built? What do you mean? English. Oh, you mean by nudging. Hipping, nudging. Yeah, you're speaking pool language for pinball. It's a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's got an analog okay. accelerometer in there, so whichever way you nudge it, it actually affects it in game that way. Nice. Yeah. So I've been taking a deep dive in a lot of the educational VR games. So the uh, Discovery has a bunch of 360 and... A bunch of groups have 360, and then I did Titans of Space, which has been out for a while, which is about you know flying and zipping around like the planets and different uh, stars. And then 
I did the body VR, which is like you zoom down, you can go through the entire body. I have to say, I've been underwhelmed with one exception. The Apollo 11 thing blew me away. Okay, I was going to hope gonna, so. That's the one that's blown me away. I still tell people Everything about else, that I feel talked at in these games so far. Everything else, I mean, I've, I've, I'm trying to, I think I've experienced one of them, but it seems like a lot of, I hate to say this, like we have old content shovelware in the VR. Like, some of the the 360 videos that Discovery put up were really cool when you're underwater and you got to kind of like look in the in the full environment. But uh, they, I feel lectured at. I don't feel like yeah. I'm interacting with anything yet. Maybe that's still coming. It's I had hard to, really I mean, high, high it, hopes for body VR. Too. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do interactive with video. Um, no, but, I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I had my hands on the rig they used to shoot that video, the Discovery video, um, and the people that were creating that come from a very two-dimensional storytelling environment. So they probably didn't have a lot to work with on that. So I, mean, I was hoping for body VR because it was developed for VR. Uh-huh. And you have this immersive environment. You're in a little ship and you fly through blood vessels and go into the brain, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it and that part was cool, right. seeing everything where you're shrunken down. Uh, and my kid is watching the Magic School Bus right now on Netflix, so he's getting the same experience that I was getting in VR. It reminds me of Inner Space, yeah, in a different way. But it wasn't like I could I could never manipulate anything. It was like here's a picture of a red blood cell that's yeah. like flying by. So you. basically, instead of being no man's sky in a completely you know immersive environment, yeah. you have no man's tour through. The human body. Pretty much. And though I have to say, the Apollo 11 one still blows me away right. because like, it brought a tear to my eye, hearing the voices and, yeah, me too. and all that stuff. But so, it, interestingly, that, that's a very slow-paced, linear experience. You but know, you know the pacing Not works. interactive. It, but it's not interactive because it's a history thing. Yeah. I, like, and I approached it that way. And I was fine with it because, it, it, because there was so much history involved. Anyways, uh, there's one other game you want to talk about, Wilson's Heart. Oh, I just which wanted, I saw the trailer for. Yeah, well, they, they announced it what at E3 earlier this year, and it's a uh, looks largely black and white Twilight Zone ish kind of experience, uh, mystery experience. Um, I've been looking forward to it. It just won best virtual reality game at Gamescon in Cologne. They have a pretty stellar lineup of voice actors that are in it. Too. Yeah, it looks like, solid. Like Alfred Molina and all these uh, other actors are doing it. I was surprised it's black and white. Hmm. Um, but it, it's touch enabled, so I'm going to be excited to try it out when I get my touch in October. Me too. That's right. I'm just calling it right now. It looks great. Like that mix of puzzle and mystery. Everything is suspense right now that I'm I've been playing though. So I'm excited to try a different style. Hmm. What are you playing? Um, so I just finished um, Ed, Edge of Nowhere. Right, Edge. Oh, you, did you finish that? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. I haven't started it yet. Um, which is all suspend. Yeah. Pretty much. Thumbs up? Oh, I loved it. But it, it, it just like Lucky's Tale, it just, you run out of real estate. Like, right. it gets old. Yeah. They released a Lucky's Tale patch that unlocks all the levels, so you don't have to go through and oh, really? get all the coins anymore. Oh, I'm going to do that. Yeah, me too. We're ready to move on? Anything else in VR? Not that I can think of. Well, let's go to our last <laughs> segment. Testing this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Hey, Norm. 
His, what have his, you guys been testing? His fingerprints are all over this episode. We can't get rid of him. The ghost of Norm. <laughs> oh, it's coming back. Um, what have you guys been testing? I got quite a lot. Um, oh, I meant to bring it. Damn it. Um, I'll bring it next week. I won't even talk about it. Um, so um, I've been messing around with uh, this new gamepad called the 8BitDo is the company name. Uh, NES 30 Pro. Uh, so it's, it's styled after the original NES controller, but it's Bluetooth and also USB, and it, it works as a gamepad with all your devices. So, but I'm hooking it up to a Raspberry Pi, and um, I finally got it to work. It took me two days to get MAME to recognize both the analog sticks and the D-pad. And that's what's cool about this, this gamepad is it has dual analog sticks, so it will work great for Robotron, and it has a D-pad, and it has four buttons and shoulders. It has like every button imaginable in a very small form factor. So what my plan is, inspired by uh, Steve Lin's tweet, um, oh, is no. I want to turn one of these old Coleco games, if you're watching the video, I'm holding it up. It's this 1981 Coleco tabletop game into a Raspberry Pi uh, arcade emulator. And I'm going to replace the controls with an embedded Nest 30 Pro. Nice. So it'll, and it fits perfectly. And we talked about the, is it a Kickstarter or somebody was selling them last week? That no, did, it's not a Kickstarter. Yeah, someone is just selling them. Um, but there were like four or five hundred bucks, right? Yeah, not, not expensive. I mean, not cheap. So, but we're going to, I brought this in to give to Sean. Sean's going to model it in 3D. We're going to make it 3D printable. Nice. And it'll be a whole project that hopefully in the near future, well, oh, awesome. in the future, you'll be able to download and print your own. And uh, the controller is $40. Raspberry Pi 3 is also maybe Thirty or forty dollars. It's gonna. It's not gonna be that hard to make because mm. it's gonna be a USB controller. Typically, with Raspberry Pi or any kind of main box, it's the wiring of the controls. I, it's funny because I'm actually building a main box. There you go. And and I've I'd forgotten just what a joy it <laughs> is. <laughs> it's just tedious. But so hooking up USB for controls is gonna be a dream. That's why I'm really. I think this will be the easiest to build main box, and so I'm ex- I'm excited to get it done. Not counting the 3D printing and the assembly and the. That seems easy to me. Okay. Yeah. What are you using for a display? Um, it'll be an HDMI um, LCD. Nice. So I, I have a 4.3-inch display and a 5-inch. We're going to see which ones we can get away with in there. We'll probably make a vertical and a horizontal version. What, what games are you going to put on? Well, I mean... You're going to put them all in? It depends on the orientation. So I'll, I'll probably split them up and only do vertical games for the vertical orientation and uh, horizontal. For, but it, it runs every emulator. Or, yeah. You know, the, the earlier ones. No, no, but I, I meant, uh, is there a game you're particularly excited to i really on. i would look forward to robotron nice um, i love the donkey kongs so I, i'm just a fan of anything pre-1985 cool yeah uh what else oh well that's it for this week i'll bring in the other stuff next week oh okay patrick there's probably a few items on your list i'm, I'm guessing flashing back to robotron <laughs> which they have i can't even get past level three but i love that game oh goodness that was a, a mind blower let's see the uh the uh and this is a few weeks ago um we didn't get to do a video on this because of the uh the move but the hdmi hats for the nine dollar uh, uh for the nine dollar chip pc finally yeah. came out um which makes it to me much more usable than the the it took me a while because when i originally got one i'm like i have to find a monitor that's still accepts, composite right yeah uh still accepts composite video standard def video um but uh, and they also came out with a pocket chip which is you know the battery and the touch screen and the crazy old school keyboard uh yeah, that yeah we did a video on them at maker fair and then got a couple in ourselves so i'm actually uh manually typing into the you know command lining my way to turn the pocket chip into an audio player uh, <laughs> 
the, just but, uh, to explain with that, I mean, that is an amazing $9 computer, not necessarily because of just the processor, but because of the peripherals that are built onto it. Yeah. It has crazy storage, like four gigabytes? Yeah, it's like, um, part of what's amazing is, is so they, they got like four gigabytes of storage that the operating system is loaded onto, and one of the things that they didn't have at the initial launch that they do now is they actually have headless versions of the operating system you can download and install. So if you want to operate this as, you know, a, a little, you know, a media server or a, uh, you know, backup server, or if you just have something where you don't need an HDMI interface for it, right. um, you don't have to run the overhead for the, or, you know, for the for the, a, a desktop, you don't have to run the overhead for that. And it has um, built-in wireless, right? Yeah, it has built-in, so it's a, Really? Like, for $9? Yeah, built in BGN. Wireless? There's no Ethernet, but there's BGN. Um, the video for $9 is a single USB port, but the USB port is separate from uh, you know the networking. So that was one of the big complaints about the Raspberry Pi um, is because they kind of commingle the USB and the networking on those. Um, you know, Basically, GPIO pin compatible with a, a lot of the Raspberry Pi stuff. And then uh, uh, it actually has a battery controller for a lithium-ion battery. That comes on board for nine bucks, so you can basically create a you know a charge. It'll it'll handle the charging uh, for lithium ion battery. Oh, using uh, the USB board. jack, or yeah, the power well, jack. I would yeah. probably use the power jack, but the uh, but there's the actual That's there's cool. a little plug in for the lithium ion battery on that one. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, you know micro USB for charging, but it's it's a pretty amazing piece of hardware for nine bucks, especially totally. if you want to do something. You know, you, you don't particularly want to be running a desktop on it. Um, you know, and for me, it's, it makes me laugh because the HDMI module is $15 and the computer is $9. That's um, that's funny. Is it compatible with any of the Pi OSs? Not really. Um, I mean, that's the, the, the big thing about this is, is you're going to, if you're going to do something with this, you're going to learn a lot about Linux. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, but the, uh, um, you're gonna you're gonna have to kind of sit down and, and work through. I mean, this is this the same thing we talked about with uh, like the Odroid C2, where if one of the nice things about the Raspberry Pi is there's all these distros that have been compiled for it. There's all this different software you can just download it, and and the distro has been customized to do something on the Raspberry Pi. And there's you know that community is you know accreting like a reef, you know around the chip and and to a lesser degree the Odroid. But you know it takes time to do that, and these have only been out for a few months. Um, I don't know. Good crew people. I've, I've gotten to go to their offices over in Oakland, and uh, uh, they're getting they're getting creative with stuff. How are they uh, making money? I don't know volume. Yeah, um, I mean that's the Raspberry Pi's plan, and, uh, <laughs> and they, they achieved it. I mean, good luck to them because that's an amazing deal. Yeah. What are you going to build with it? Uh, like I said, like the this one actually, I think I'm going to end up doing. Uh, I've been I've been playing around with. I guess they changed the name now. Um, doing a sync box with it. Um, because BitTorrent spun off Sync mm-hmm. into its own company. I like to do a Sync box with one of them. I've uh, played around using it as a media server. Uh, I just got the. I just started playing around with the headless version of the operating system, which I think will be ideal for a media, so a very small, simple media server. Um, but like the big thing I want to do right now is get the pocket chip running as an audio player. Um, just because why not do a weird, oversized, ridiculous-looking touchscreen-controlled audio player? Um. <laughs> Is there an SD card reader on that? Uh, SD card, no. So how do you load a new OS on it? Uh, you connect to it. Wirelessly? USB. Yeah. Oh, USB? Yeah. Huh. Crazy. So, yeah, you basically... you. Thunk. Um, you have to actually uh, jumper it uh, and then load the operating system onto it. Cool. So, All right. What else have you been testing? You know, I finally I have to break down and write a review of of AudioQuest's uh, Nighthawks, which are the which headphones is, you're holding. I'm right there. holding. Yeah, they're really nice. Um, you know, a long time ago, I did a, a conversation with Norm about sort of listening to audio and what does audio file mean and, and all of this stuff. And a lot of it's 
you know, BS, a lot of it's real. I don't have the c- cable plug into those right now. No. Um, but, you know. I was just seeing how heavy they were. They're, they're pretty, pretty light. If you, yeah. yeah, if you uh, turn them around the other way, um, they'll fit better that way. Um, but, no uh, yeah, that's a that's an interesting idea where, where AudioQuest, AudioQuest gets a bum rap um, because they sell a lot of, like, you know, I don't know if they sell a lot, but you, if you want to spend $3,000 on an HDMI cable, they'll figure something out to sell you, right? They, 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 they made their bones doing incredibly expensive cables. And then a few years ago, uh, I got to play around with an AudioQuest Dragonfly, which is a USB adapter. They just came out with the black and the red versions uh, at CES this year. Um, but it was amazing because it was a USB audio adapter, and the audio and the headphone amp inside of it are incredible. You know, and it was like 130 bucks. Um, yeah, you have some fine taste when it comes to some of this stuff. So when you're <laughs> saying that it was incredible um, at 130, because you've you know you've talked about thousand dollar. Yeah, I, I don't I don't buy thousands. About three hundred dollars is kind of where I cap out on audio equipment. Um, although you know that's kind of hard to do with speakers. But um, yeah, I, I I I was I started playing around with like the planar magnetics last year and. Uh, and, you know, the AudioQuest people were like, hey, check these out. They're a little different. And one of the things is they're, they're very different, you know, you, you kind of tune a headphone. And a lot of headphones are tuned so that they have this big, big bump uh, in the high end. And, you know, a lot of the reasoning for that is based on acoustical measurements that were done back in the 70s. And, um, you know, these are not only incredibly comfortable, um, but, uh, you know, it's a semi-open design, so you don't want to be using them on the subway, but that gives it sort of a larger soundstage or sense of space or air to the music. Um, you know, but they've gone pretty nuts trying to eliminate distortion, which may or may not help uh, your listening experience. But they did some really interesting stuff, interesting stuff with the way they tuned them. And so that there's less of an emphasis on the high, which makes them a lot less fatiguing. Uh, and they just sound fantastic. Um, but it's interesting to watch people who have a lot of time with, like, high-end headphones a lot of them will put these on and be like oh it's too muddy you know it's not it doesn't sparkle the way i wanted to and it's a really interesting question about whether or not a lot of very popular headphones um make audio they kind of like oh people like this sound so we're gonna jack that up um or you know mediocre science from the 70s says for you know hearing protection we need to reduce this area because of you know head body transfer function issues and that's how the, a lot of headphones have been engineered so people come to expect to this be this this sort of bump uh you know around a thousand or four thousand k or wherever it is where are studio mastering labs um leveling to or what are they expecting the user to have uh, well i mean if you if you if you listen to sort of like hardcore audio geeks you know they're compressing it so much it yeah. doesn't matter right um because they're trying to make something that that pops no dynamics yeah uh you know that kind of pops really well for radio or, or mp3s which is a, a kind of a bizarre concept but it is the reality um you know i've seen you know, uh, there's always the pictures of like Quincy Jones using the the I want to say the AKG headphones. I've seen a lot, I've seen you know recording in studios in New York City where they're using Sony uh, MDR 7506s. Um, in a lot of cases, they're pretty cheap headphones. That's like a hundred dollar headphone, right? Yeah, um, you know, biodynamics like DT 770s. They're, they're almost always closed back headphones. Um, you know, when you're talking about somebody who's got like a full on room, in a lot of cases, it's a, a near field monitor. Um, in some cases, you know, yeah, they have a big old pair of like B and W or focal speakers and, um, but in many cases it's, it's just a couple of speakers sitting on a desk and, and somebody that starts twiddling the knobs to kind of bring everything to the sound they want. Um, you know, it's been a while since I'd be curious to see some of the studios now, but, um, 
you know, I've, I've been told that there's some shockingly bad headphones and speakers in use. <laughs> like on purpose, because that's what normal people use. That's a really good question. Um, I think for a lot of these people, you know, they're bringing their own headphones and plug them in, or they're, they're using the near field monitors in the studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's also one of those things where what used to be, you know, a lot of the best albums in history were recorded with what were fantastic speakers for the time, yeah. but are, you know, mediocre or weak ass speakers by modern standards, um, just because the technology's advanced so much. But I don't know. The, the Nighthawks are really interesting because they, they also went through, uh, you know, the, the person that designed them went through and just did a ton of stuff kind of, you know, it's kind of like looking at a race car where there's just, there's, you know, there's more things. Every time you go deeper, it's like, okay, how do we make the brakes faster? Could we make the brakes work better? How do we make the tires stick better? Okay. Uh, now we want to speed the engine up. Now we need more brake. It's just like they've gone through and sort of finessed so many corners of this headphone. It's kind of an interesting Yeah, but a race car can be tweaked to achieve a higher top speed right. or better handling, whereas this gets down to a matter of taste. Yeah, on some levels it's taste, and you can also argue on some levels, um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, um, you know, it's interesting. To look, because I want to say Harmon's going down and do a lot of basic level research where they're trying to create a profile, you know, where they they've done listening tests with hundreds of people and they're trying to create a profile for what people actually hear and what they want to hear. Wow! Uh, and a lot of the kind of basic level audio research that you haven't seen in a long time. Science. Science. Mm-hmm. Or at least trying to figure out how people listen to stuff and how different things impact that or whether they hear different changes. Um, you know, one of the big things they did with these was figuring In out... In real-world locations, too? That's the other thing I was wondering. You know, I'd love to talk to them more about that. Um, you know, I've I've just read some of the articles and, and read some of the AES stuff. Where are um, they based? Harmon, I think, Southern California. Hmm. Um, Harmon Labs, I'm pretty sure, is in Southern California. Um, That's Harmon Carden? Is it? I believe so. Yeah. Um, Cool. I'm going to keep an eye out for that research because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, Harmon.com. So. There's one thing you've been testing that like really perked up my ears. <laughs> oh, I better know what it is. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Amplify. Um, yeah. Because we've talked about Eero, which is yeah. the Wi-Fi mesh network that you have been using, yeah. Jeremy. I bought it right before the Amplify, I think, went on market, to market. And in, what is your sort of satisfaction with the Eero so far? Oh, it's just been a dream. It's an absolute dream. I have all, like, I don't know what it is, but I assume everyone has this problem, but I could never get Wi-Fi in every corner of my house. I have four family members, all of whom at some point in time want to be on simultaneously. And uh, there's rooms with no Wi-Fi whatsoever. There's rooms that show you have bars, but the internet just stops anyway. And, uh, you know, I've tried bridging routers together I've that put, sucks that I've, always sucks and uh you know you put you get that takes in a while to figure out what all the settings should be and you have to run ethernet um i, I don't believe in i hadn't believed in wireless bridging um and I, I i guess to be honest i still haven't tried it patrick can attest to his experience with it but i tried this eero system which is basically three wireless and routers that, uh, that come together they're all identical and you place them throughout your house and um, you can either bridge them wirelessly or over Ethernet. One X is the main one. And um, I, br- I bridged them um, using Ethernet because I had my rooms wired already. And it's worked great. I now have wires, wireless everywhere. It feels like a brute force approach to what could have been done more, <laughs> in, you know. It's not elegant. More but elegant. Yeah. But it is just like just blanketing as hardcore as you can the signal throughout your house. I feel like we must be getting cancer somehow. And the the only real big knock on Eero has been the price. I mean, uh, five hundred dollars for this fi- kit. Yeah, yeah, for three. I think for three. Gonna... Yeah, and I mean, honestly, 
I was so desperate after so many years of trying to get this to work that I paid it happily. And um, I'm actually only using two of them because I set up two as a test to see if that would be enough, and it is. So I, I'm thinking I'll just keep the third one for if my neighbors end up getting the same for setup Fridays, yeah, and sure. I have to fight harder, uh, then I'll throw the third one in there or if we move into a, some other house. So I was all getting set to budget for an Eero, and then I turned on tech thing, and <laughs> Patrick's on there. And I, it's been a while since I've seen you review a product that positively. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, no, I mean, it was like, you could see there was like a level of just bewilderment and excitement because you're like, I can't believe this worked. Well, yeah, it's... it's um, so, so let's talk about the Amplify. The Amplify is by Ubiquity. Who- Ubiquity, right. So Ubiquity started, the Ubiquity, the big uh, networking company, started uh, Ubiquity Labs. Ubiquity Labs is, you know, doing consumer-facing stuff, and the first one they did is Amplify. Um, so the the Amplify people, they, they seated reviewers with the HD version, right, which is has a little more powerful radio and some more antennas and does uh, 3x3 MIMO instead of 2x2 MIMO. So the idea is, like, this is if you're, you're working in an office space or where you have a ton of devices. Um, you know, the one I'm really curious about, that's $350, and it comes with a little base station box with an LCD screen on the front of it uh, and two of their um, mesh points, which is essentially a wall wart with an antenna that sticks out of the top of it and a magnetic connection. So if the dog or my four-year-old comes and yanks the antenna off, it doesn't you know, tear apart the wire. And you just plug it into a socket. You just plug it into a socket. Um, so instead of having, you know, devices that look the same and, and look like sort of, you know, a, I don't know, whatever you call those things, a little white box that sits on your desktop, you, you put, uh, you put the, uh, the, the, the base box, you know, near your, uh, your cable modem or whatever you're getting, uh, uh, your signal from. And then you put the devices, you plug the mesh devices around your home. So one of the things I'm doing playing around with is, I've bought basically out of pocket, bought the SD version so I can compare the SD version performance to the HD version. And when Norm gets back, I'll have his Eero to test and I'll look at all three of them. But if the SD version is as good as the HD version was, um, you know, for $200, it's going to be a ridiculous bargain. And you tried this out in the Hack 5 warehouse, yeah. which is pretty big, right? Yeah, I did it in my house, which is like 1,100 square feet, but full of horsehair plaster that causes Wi-Fi to die. And I did it in the Hack 5 warehouse, which is, yeah, 5,000 square feet. Uh, and a quarter of it is cut off by multiple uh, sheetrock walls. And it was pretty. It was pretty impressive. Like I didn't set up like a full chariot network or anything. I was just doing uh, download tests. But like in the Hack 5 warehouse... Um, you know, it was everywhere from like halfway across the parking lot, 30 yards out front, uh, the entire warehouse, um, you know, including like Darren's office where Wi-Fi goes to die. Uh, you know, it was, you know, it was probably 30, 40% lower in Darren's office, but the majority of the warehouse was a consistent. See, I think that's a pretty good review when you say that's where Wi-Fi goes to die. And I have reception <laughs> there. I feel like that's pretty good I think review. That's, yeah, on the box, that should be in the store. <laughs> I can't wait to... Uh, see that side by side because 200 bucks is nothing well, if that SD thing works. I mean, that's just yeah. the barely more than a high-end router itself. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely look at that one first because the Eero has issues. Like the only way to access the settings is through the app. So if you have oh, a, really? a lot of yeah. port forwarding to set up, which I do, you can't copy and paste that from your browser yeah. window like static can't, can't, ips can be a problem yeah. for people and and like you know, amplify has done its first software update but i think all of these are very early in the development yeah. plus um, the Eero has this weird issue where if, if it goes offline and it's acting as your main network brow- uh, router 
you can't access your land. Yeah. Is that, that's what, as I understand it, right? So I never even set it up as my main router. I, I kept my old router as just that, not a Wi-Fi access point, just as the router. It then went to the Eero just to handle the Wi-Fi. Oh, all right. So well, I'll, be, I'll be sure to pull the WAN connection out of the back of the Amplify to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been testing a couple things. I've continued my testing of sous vide machines. I've been um, playing with the Jewel that we got from Chef Steps and uh, comparing it to the Anova and just putting them through a lot of different you know benchmarks, like how quickly it heats up water and maintains the temperature. And more on that soon. I think we're going to do a review. I'm actually going to cook a whole meal just using a sous vide machine. Nice. Full meal. I, drinks boy, included. That's great, man. That, that technology has uh, been a real staple untested. I have to say, like, the weird part has been the Bluetooth connection on the, on the <laughs> Jewel has not been my favorite thing um, so far. But I've I got a little ways to go. And then I tried out Google Duo, which was their new answer to FaceTime. Uh, with lightweight video app. Really intuitive. I've loved it. I don't know anyone on this thing. So, <laughs> uh, so I can't call anyone. Yeah. I've made a couple like test calls to a couple of people, but I just don't know many people with it. But it's been lightweight. Even the video quality over um, uh, mobile has been fine. Uh, it gets compressed a little bit, but it, mm-hmm. it's not too bad. It has a, a feature where you can see video coming in of the people before you answer. I like, I like that. Which is great, super intuitive. Does if it, this is the future, I think it's great. And I, I'm hoping Android just starts putting the stock on everything. Oh, isn't it? It's not in the new OS? Not yet. No. Is there um, going to be a way to... Uh, does it work when it's in the background? So if you minimize to browse other apps, they can still see you and you can still chat. Oh, I didn't test that. Okay. I didn't test it with the split screen either. Okay. Which it, is what it, I... I mean, I did uh, try it with the split screen, but I didn't go full background with FaceTime it. FaceTime works that way. So if you start a FaceTime call and minimize to open a browser or something, oh, they right. can still see you and you just can't see them. I'll take a whirl. I wonder if they'll release an iOS version. That didn't seem, that doesn't seem like it would be unlike them. Would Apple let that go? Oh, no absolutely. Way. They can't Wait, block Google that. Google Duo? Yeah, get it on Google Play, download it on the App Store. Oh, really? App Store. Nice. Maybe I'll actually find some people on this thing now. <laughs> Get my mom on there. All right. Uh, Anything else you guys have been testing? Negative. All right. Ghost of Norman Chan, thank you so much. Thanks, Kishore. Jeremy, where can people find you? I am at Jareware on the Twitter. And Patrick, what's coming up for you? Anything to plug? Oh, my goodness. Uh, New episode of Tech Thing, new episode of AVXL, AVXL AVXL.com or techthing.com. And where can people find you besides... Everywhere, always. At, <laughs> that's a scary thought. At Patrick Norton on the Twitters. I'm at Science Quiche on the Twitters. We'll be back next week with an all-new show. There's lots of cool stuff untested right now. I loved, loved the light stage video that they did at USC Institute for Creative Technologies about um, creating sort of light field environments um, that's on there. It's an incredible video. Technical, great depth. Norm was awesome in it, and Joey held up well. They have these mirror balls that show that they they can show like a lighting of a specific moment with this like 360 degree LED set. And you can get close up and see images magnified in the uh, sphere balls. It's incredible. That's cool. They created one image from the Grace Cathedral just right here in the city. And it's it's perfect. There's a video from SIGGRAPH, I think, 
um, of it, uh, of how they use it to recreate light environments in film, too. It was pretty incredible. You, um, should, if, you should check out Sean's uh, lightsaber video, too, because that's <laughs> insane from a 3D printing modeling standpoint. It's just like it has layer upon layer of detail. Oh, awesome. I, I got that lightsaber. Like <laughs> I saw it and I was like, order order and it's incredible especially the tearaway and everything on there except a couple screws is 3d printed yeah even the crystal inside it's one of the most beautiful things we have a lot more videos coming up Uh, a lot of premium content is going to come down from the arctic and we have more to announce on that soon uh but that's that's it for us so we'll, we'll see you next week jeremy you have an outro for us hi there i didn't see you that's it I just knock on someone's door, put my hand out, and shake, shake it. Look, motherfucker, I'm going to the chair. <laughs> See it. Does Will ever not curse? I don't know. I think that's just his thing. Uh-oh. By the way, thanks, Steve Lynn, for uh, lending us the Donkey Kong machine. If I didn't give you credit already, you demand.